In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and Happy New Year! Welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Tom Zidlachik, and today we are going to be talking about our hopes, dreams, and aspirations for 2021. Specifically, there are a lot of exciting games coming out this year, and I'm pretty sure my co-hosts have pre-ordered all of them. I made that joke at the end of the last episode, and I am doubling down on it right here. <laughs> Joining me for the discussion today are Hobbybox, Joe Burns. hey And new friend of the show, OIO first-timer, Adam Wilson. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you. Welcome to the show, guys. Adam, it is a time-honored tradition here on OIO. When somebody new joins the crew, I make them tell me something nice about myself. What do you like about OIO? Uh, well, the name, I love the name. It's basically my life mantra. I'm really good at staying in my basement. But that set aside, what I do really like is even with all the tools and technology today, it's hard to foster kind of just a cool, unique community and keep it kind of thriving. And I think what Outside is Overrated really does is create kind of a cool, unique platform for like nerds of all types, not just like these like niche pockets. And uh, it's just kind of cool, like how you cover everything like, you know, animes, music and video games, board games the whole gambit movies. So it's just, it's like a really cool platform that you're creating. So well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And that is exactly the vibe that I'm going for. Everyone is welcome here. We are focused on games today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what kind of games you're into? I guess I started out on video games. Uh, at the, the age of two, I had a super Nintendo. So late to the game for some of you, <laughs> uh, early to the game for me, I was two, but you know, as I've refined my tastes, I really like turn-based strategy. Uh, I'm a big 4X gamer. I do still dabble in MOBAs and MMOs. So MMOs, yes, I'm still a WoW player, actually. Yes, um, how so long play- have you been playing WoW? Actually, that's the weird thing is I came in basically at the last expansion. So I've only actually been a WoW player for less than a year. But... Got into it pretty hard, started mythic raiding, did the whole gambit, and just have really been enjoying it. So this is like Shadowlands just released in November, and it's kind of my first expansion that I get to experience from the start to hopefully the finish of it. So we'll see. That's awesome. And then board games-wise, I'm very much a heavy strategist type person. Uh, dungeon crawls, 4X again. Basically, if by the end of the day I'm mentally exhausted, I've I've played some good games that day. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Two thoughts. Number one, you should give up on WoW and play Final Fantasy fourteen. That game is amazing. <laughs> and number two, I have a two-year-old. Like, what on earth did you do with the Super Nintendo as a two-year-old? Like, my daughter would probably pick up the controller, squeal, and then go running out of the room ten seconds later. Well, apparently I was a super good uh, Super Mario player to the point of my parents have home video of me yelling at my older brother that he was playing it wrong. So, like, there's, like, VHS... <laughs> tape somewhere of us sitting there with super mario on and i'm doing it right as the the younger brother 
And that's probably why he didn't really get into the video games that much because he wants to be yelled at by their two-year-old brother that they're playing wrong. So, <laughs> yeah, I was better at video games than my older brothers too. Suck on that. <laughs> uh, you've done some writing for this site. I want to point out specifically your Cedars of Saris review on OutsideIsOverrated.com. It is our most popular review of 2020, and you just did a really nice job on it. And you're awesome. very patient Thank you. when I sent you many edits on it. You just rolled with it all. You didn't get frustrated and say no. No, Tom. No. <laughs> well, my English is not very good, so uh, I'll leave that to the experts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tom does it for a job, and so he is he is good at saying this reads well, this does not read well. So, yeah, I have a little experience. Before we get into the show today, we want to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. You can also follow us all on social. You can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That is overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Sidlachik OIO. You can follow Burnsy at Hobby Box Burns and follow Adam at Ox's Auditorium. That is O X S O D D I T O R I U M. You can also follow the show at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. One thing I want to call out here, Bernsey, you've been streaming a lot. You really need to put your Twitch channel in this list. Well, I suppose I can do that. It's really just twitch.tv slash hobbyboxburns. So got that branding down. Hashtag branding. Hashtag blessed. Do hashtags work in an audio podcast? They do now. Yeah, they do now. <laughs> you recently became an affiliate streamer on Twitch. What does that mean? And how can we help you make more money? Um, so basically what affiliate is, is it's the first tier of monetizing Twitch as a streamer. And so there's a, there's like four criteria you have to get over. You have to have over 50 followers. You have to have streamed X amount of days in a 30 day period, X amount of hours in a 30 day period. And it's like those first three were like the easy metrics to get to. And the last one is you have to have an average of three viewers over a 30 day period. And that one's a little more tricky because depending on the game, different people will want to watch different things. So the things I found like Yakuza Like a Dragon was the first time I played a game that was like brand new on stream. And I had fewer people watching. And that was because a lot of the people that normally tuned in didn't want spoilers. And so it was kind of this weird, tricky thing. But then uh, playing the new fight, well, the old new Fire Emblem helped kind of push things over the top because people didn't really care about spoilers for a game that came out in 1990. But uh, yeah, so so basically, what it means is that they'll Twitch will play ads uh, uh, during your stream. Usually, it's just one one people join. Uh, you get like channel points that people can earn and then spend to make you do things on stream, um, and you get to sort of set that. So it's anything from a hundred hobby bucks is what I called them, a hundred hobby bucks to to just drink water uh, to like I think what is it? I did f three thousand or two thousand is show and tell. So I'll grab one of the random tchotchkes that I have. Like I have like 50 within easy reach and talk about it and why I like it uh, in my room. 5,000 is to pick a new game for me to play at the end of the stream. And so it's just something to help integrate. And then also you get subscriptions. And so if people sub, you get, I think it's 50-50 split. Twitch gets half the money. You get half the money uh, for that month. And uh, the one really nice thing that people can do without spending any money is if you have a Amazon Prime account, you link that to your Twitch account, uh, you get one free Prime subscription a month. So that's like the easiest way someone could support without actually spending any money. It's probably something you're not using anyway. Um, the only thing you have to remember is to re-up it every month. But I'm not really like focusing on the money thing. It's just the extra like 
connectivity stuff and integration stuff where you're back and forthing with people um, that yeah, you that's... get. Like you can have emotes and stuff like that too. So that's the stuff that I'm looking forward to more with it. That's what OIO is all about too. We're not about the sweet OIO money. We're all about the community that we're building. But you can go to patreon.com slash outside is overrated and pay for this shit. That would be terrific. And it's patreon.com slash OIO. Last thing about oh, you streaming. What did I say? Oh, it's just OIO, yeah. Yep, just OIO. You are really no good on the stream, Burns. Like, it is really fun to jump on there and see you. Like, you are very witty. You're just, you're really good. And uh, I think people should really check you out. Oh, I appreciate it. It's, 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 I've definitely improved since August. That's for sure. I've gotten better at sort of thinking on my feet and once people interact, like trying to continue to keep that interaction going. Um, but even if you have nothing going on and you just want to lurk and hang out and check in every now and again, like that, that's perfectly fine too. It's, it's all fun. Uh, even if you can only pop in for five minutes, it's just fun to say hi and check, check things out with people. So my strategy is to pop in for five minutes and to post as much random shit as I can into the chat and see if I can rattle you. And I, I really can't. Oh no, you just roll with it. Like, you meet all sorts of different people. I had one person commenting for like 10 minutes straight about how much they liked my beard. Um, and, and it uh, wasn't so, me. That's awesome. It was, it was a little awkward. It was, it, it was a little awkward, but it was all right. Um, cause I mean, I, I mean, it's an okay beard. It's not anything fantastic, but, uh, I don't know. So it's interesting, but otherwise that's the really interesting thing is you get to meet other people that watch your stream and you watch their streams and you kind of build this community. And so like, there's a, there's a few different people that I kind of play weekly games of among us with, um, and just getting to know people and like the communities that kind of generate around this stuff is really cool. And it's, it's been, it's, that's been the biggest surprise is I thought it was more so just going to be me yelling out into the ether, but it's actually been a really cool way to kind of get to know other people, even though you don't meet them face to face. Um, but you see them like kind of visually on stream. You, they just can't see you while you're interacting. It, it's, it's, it's weird, but it's interesting and it's fun. So that's awesome. Twitch.tv slash hobbyboxburns. Subscribe to Burnsy today. And if you have a prime account, link your prime account with Twitch and Burnsy gets, I forgot what you said, but it benefits you. Yeah. It's like half the subscription cost. Awesome. Well, that's enough about us. We have a crap load of games to talk about. A new year brings a bevy of new games into our lives. I know we are all hurting for games to play, so let's spend the day talking about new board games. You have both backed a number of games on Kickstarter, and there are some really cool projects coming out this year. I want to talk about your most anticipated titles. But first, friend of the show Patrick writes on pa Patreon that he has pre-ordered two games. Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Corpse, and Nemesis Lockdown. Oh, he did get Nemesis, huh? Yeah. Do you guys are you guys familiar with these games? Like, I know I've heard him talk about Nemesis, but I know nothing about the theme or the mechanics. Yeah, I know, Nemesis is basically like the sci-fi movie Alien. Um, and Patrick loves like, Alien; like, it is his favorite franchise. I think. Yeah. Um. They like the the miniatures are like the aliens are literally aliens, but basically it's like a survival game. You're like navigating through a ship. It's a co-op. I can't remember if there's a traitor factor, but yeah, there's a lot of excitement for the new lockdown. They've refined a lot of what the original game had and tried to fine tune it to make it better. So I know the new one is a standalone from the original Nemesis. But yeah, it's it's one of their popular ones, that's for sure. So haven't heard of the other one, though. Yeah, Aliens, another glorious day in the core. Well, bring it down, Patrick. We're excited to check it out. And thank you for supporting us on Patreon. 
the first game that you guys backed on Kickstarter. I was excited that you put this on the list, Adam. I wasn't even aware that it was getting a board game uh, iteration. Frostpunk, why don't you tell us a little bit about the theme and the mechanics of Frostpunk, the board game? Yep. So Frostpunk is literally just an iteration of the video game. Um, and for people who don't know what the video game is, is the world has basically become a frozen wasteland. And we can um, relate up here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you're from the Midwest, degrees out. you There's understand. There's no snow for Christ's sakes. <laughs> and it's, it's a base building game. So you're basically building up your base, just literally trying to survive. So the gameplay, the standard just game is survive 12 rounds or days, however you want to word it. And then you like flip new events that happen in your colony. And there's this whole management system, right? And it's, you got like your colony morale. Cause if your morale goes too low, you lose. Uh, you have sickness, um, which is affected by weather. Cause weather comes in and blizzards hit and it gets super cold. And if you don't have enough shelter and heat, your people get sick. You have too many sick people, you lose. It's kind of it's it's definitely like the brutal game in which the video game is, and I think they've done a really good um, port, basically to the board game version. I think the biggest thing for me is I'm truly excited for the solo experience on this and not playing with others. So, <laughs> as, as terrible as that may sound, they do have an interesting caveat that I'm very interested to see. There's not a lot of information on it, but they understand that probably most of the people that bought it are for solo gamers. They have an app that they're going to develop where I can play a solo game and link up to someone else who's playing a solo game. That is our colonies that interact. Oh, interesting. Um, So because how it works is there's just like four different uh, boards, like tech, weather, your generator that you're managing. So in a multiplayer game, each player just takes one of those functions, but you still collectively have to decide together. So it's not necessarily something that I'm like, oh yeah, I can't wait to get you know three friends together and like just play a colony sim board game. <laughs> right. So it's it's definitely one I bought to like play by myself in my basement, as terrible as that sounds. But yeah, they, it sounds like a really good port from the video game. So if you're a fan of the video game, it it obviously grabbed that audience. They develop different scenarios to add different win and lot lose conditions outside of the normal. So you know, that was part of like the stretch goal system. Um, and that also adds more replayability. And then like a lot of the reviewer, early reviewers said that it was really awesome because you can play like one scenario, right? And you're trying to learn that and maybe you lose on day like three. It's like, okay, take what you learned and then like try to make it further. And so like the pr- just the progression of trying to figure out how to survive that scenario is like part of the game itself. You're going to lose, you're going to lose a lot. Um, but yeah, it just sounds super interesting. And um, there's a lot to it. And I don't, I feel like I talk and ramble a lot. So I'll probably cut it short here on this one. I have a lot of other notes on it, but there's a lot of games to cover too. So well, if it's all about, you're going to lose and you're going to lose a lot. It's just like the video game then. Cause that is an unforgiving <laughs> video game. <laughs> Burns, have you played it very yeah. much? Yeah, I did two runs of it. I just picked it up on sale. Uh, it would have been like August, September timeframe shortly before it actually came up on Kickstarter, which was funny. And yeah, it's hard. It's it, it like it's all about making uh, making you make really tough decisions. So it's like, okay, you don't have enough workers. Child labor? Yes or no? They're not going to like it, but you kind of need to do something and the kids are just sitting around eating anyway, so they might as well. And so you have to make the decision and it's basically telling you, well, if you don't make this decision, you're kind of going to be screwed. But if you make this decision, 
you're kind of going to be screwed. <laughs> yeah, I said yes so, for yeah. the record. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it makes sense. And, and sometimes the kids do well. Sometimes the kids die. But then again, your other workers die too. So they just fit in then at that point, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about building a community. Uh, <laughs> one of the really cool things in the board game is there's this generator in the middle of it. And like a core premise is that you're in this frozen wasteland and people are going to freeze to death. So you constantly have to find coal and... Uh, in the game, you're just feeding coal into the generator nonstop. In the board game, there's a mechanic where you're actually putting uh, dice or cubes into the generator to emulate the coal, and occasionally coal will find out, and that represents damage to your generator. I thought that was a really unique and interesting mechanic. I, I think maybe they might have grabbed a little inspiration from Dark Tower, which is an older game board game that had a recent Kickstarter that had a new modified tower where you were dropping stuff into a tower and it eventually would release stuff as well. But yeah, it, it's definitely interesting because it, it really has that like random element without needing to dice then. And then it you need to find ways to mi mitigate that. So and I also I think they're kind of doing a second solution where the, the, the generator also acts as a storage solution for game components as well. So oh, that's nice. kind of cool too. Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me reading through the Kickstarter in this game was just how good a job they did of carrying that oppression over from the video game to the board game iteration. Different tracks you mentioned for discontent, for hunger, for weather. There's lots of ways that you can die, lots of ways that you can lose, and this seems like a really interesting port of a very interesting game. I think the one interesting thing, kind of like you said, Adam, though, is I don't know how fun this would be playing like with four people. Maybe two where... Like you're running two of the things and, and it doesn't seem like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like there's enough for you to be doing if you were focusing on just one of those things. And it might almost have the opposite problem of what the XCOM board game had where there was too much going on and you're in real time with XCOM and you're all trying to fit in what you each need to do like around each other. Whereas here it's like, do I have enough to do other than like just like yelling at you to make the right decision with your shit, you know? I was just going to say, it sounds like he's trying to convince me to play it with me. I think it's okay at two. I think it is, Adam. <laughs> yeah, but no Toms allowed. It sounds, to me yeah. like, it sounds to me like playing Memoir 44. <laughs> no, that's just, it's just, just roll dice until the grenades happen. That's, that's what Memoir 44 is. Yeah. And hopefully we that's can... how it works, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. That's how much I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> that was Frostpunk. When does Frostpunk actually come out? When should you have your copy? <laughs> oh, boy. Good thing I pulled this up. So it's predicted for October 2021. But obviously, COVID's had a big effect on production. And almost and any it, game at this point is expected for delays. Well, and it's a Kickstarter game. So you obviously, you ultimately, like, instantly add three months to the time frame because they always underestimate. There's always multiple things that pop up that push it. So that's the, that's one thing about Kickstarter. Right. Exactly. It's, so, it's a pre-order system in some, but definitely you end up waiting a lot longer for others. Sounds super frustrating. I get so frustrated when my packages don't show up when they say they're going to show up. Just watch my Twitter stream from the last like two weeks. Where are my games for Christ's sakes? You got to put those people on blast sometimes, Tom. That's the way you get customer services. Then they respond. It's like, I'm sorry to hear this, Tom. Please tell me how we what we can do to help, you know? Yeah, companies didn't care what I had to say. Yeah, I'm not going to put anyone on blast. Uh, so that was Frostpunk. We're going to stick with the Frozen theme. We are moving over to Frosthaven. 
Longtime listeners of OIO know there is a healthy affinity for Gloomhaven on this show. Bernsey, why don't you tell us about Frosthaven and why you're excited for it? Yeah, so really, Frosthaven is the sequel to Gloomhaven, and I'm excited for it because it's more Gloomhaven. Like <laughs> our group, we're just about done. We have we finished the main game of Gloomhaven and done all the scenarios that we unlocked, and we have two in the expansion, and then we are done with Gloomhaven. Uh, and so it's going to be a long wait. It was originally supposed to come out in spring. They've already pushed it into like summer 2021. Uh, but yeah, Frosthaven is really just a refinement of Gloomhaven. They've taken some of the things they learned from the initial game and they've really focused on ramping some of that up as well as working in some elements that they wanted to have in the original Gloomhaven. But because it was the first like game of that type that this guy had made and it was so big already, they needed to kind of get through the experience of creating one massive game to make it an even more massive game. Uh, some of the big things that they're adding, uh, the miniatures quality is going to be better in Frosthaven. And so if you're not familiar with Gloomhaven, basically you each play as a character and you go through different scenarios, where, which is basically like a dungeon crawler. So you're, you're going through and you'll have a goal. Sometimes, a lot of the times it's to kill all enemies. Um, sometimes it's to actually like get a item or to protect someone for X amount of rounds or so on and so forth. That's one of the changes that they're focusing on is trying to make it so that fewer of the scenarios are just kill all enemies. Uh, so it's a little bit less of just hack and slash and more that you're trying to do something to accomplish it here. Uh, one of the other big changes with Frosthaven is when you loot things, you don't just get gold now. Sometimes you get crafting materials and crafting is a huge part of the game now where you will collect these different crafting materials and depending upon where on the map, you're going, you're going to get in each scenario different like percentages of crafting materials. So say you're underground, you're going to have more of a chance of finding like, say, reagents for, for potions and metals. If you're in the woods, you're going to have a better chance of finding wood and meat. Uh, and so that all gets worked into your uh, cards that also give you varying amounts of coins. And then when you loot things, you draw a card and you get whatever that was. Then when you get back to Frosthaven, which is the outpost in this game, once you get back there, you're able to take those two crafting buildings that you've unlocked and you can then turn those in to make those into, so say I have three wood and a metal, I can make that into a spear. And eventually I can upgrade that to a better spear uh, if I unlock that recipe and then I'm able to make that. So it's it's kind of this, this huge crafting thing that he wanted to do in the first game, but had no idea how to do it with all the other systems that Gloomhaven was. Um, and on top of that then, a lot of it also is the base building mechanic where... Um, as you go through like the events in the game, you're unlocking new buildings and building new buildings. And that's a lot of uh, what this game is about. So your city map, instead of just being the static, you put stickers on uh, to be the different locations that you did your scenarios in. You're actually placing down buildings. So you're building an apothecary. And then eventually you can build an expansion on the apothecary, which makes it better. Uh, and different levels of different buildings. And sometimes there's going to be uh, outpost events where you get attacked and going to get destroyed and you got to rebuild it. And so it seems really interesting and really cool. A huge new dynamic, because that was one of the things you had city and road events in the first game. But in Frosthaven now, these outpost events and road events 
uh, are going to change with seasons. So in the summer, since you're in the frozen wastes, uh, it's a little bit nicer. But in the winter, shit forgiving. Uh, the, the animals, uh, a lot of animals are hibernating. So like your roving outlaws and stuff like that need to attack your outpost to get food. And so there's a lot more attacks coming in. You got to be prepared for that. You have to have walls built as defenses and you have to have uh, like a garrison of troops in order to help protect the town. So there's this whole other aspect to it, which is really beefing up that outside of the scenario gameplay, uh, which was okay in Gloomhaven. Uh, but it seems like they're really working on expanding that and making that much better in, in Frosthaven. So if I can summarize your points, it's essentially more Gloomhaven with better scenarios for the dungeon crawls and more city building and crafting. As somebody who spent hundreds of hours playing the original Gloomhaven, how do you feel about these changes? Like, do you think the city building is warranted or would you, you have been happy with just another huge book of scenarios to crawl through? I, I think it's, I think it's going to be nice to have extra things to focus on. And because uh, in, in the original Gloomhaven, like the choices that you made on your events really, it, it became a super easy decision really early on. And so we're good guys or we're bad guys. Okay. Do we think this is going to increase our reputation or decrease our reputation? It was like, it was so easy to make the decision. Only every now and again, would you be like, nah, f this guy, we're going to beat him up and we'll lose a little reputation. We'll gain it back so that we can make sure that our, our items that we buy are the cheapest they possibly can. Uh, so now having other considerations with that, I think is going to be much more interesting and more to do in between uh, scenarios that you're invested in, I think is going to be much more interesting than just, okay, I'm going to read this card choose option A or option B. Okay. This is what happens. Oh, that kind of sucks. So that's kind of awesome. All right. Well, see you next time. You know, I mean, <laughs> having a little bit more to dig into with that, I think is going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool to sort of have this living, breathing outpost that we're building and, and that we're invested in trying to protect, which you never really felt that much about Gloomhaven, even though like the scenario kind of revolves around trying to protect and save Gloomhaven. So Interesting. Well, I hope that you guys love it and you're able to put another several hundred hours into it as a collective group. I hope so. Adam, have you played Gloomhaven at all? I do. I have my own copy and I, I haven't played it as extensively as uh, Burns, but very excited for it. Love the system. It's definitely one of my top games. Um, I'm letting Joe kind of just let his excitement uh, bleed out <laughs> because, I mean, he's definitely dived into Gloomhaven, but yes, I'm very excited for the changes of Frosthaven because I, I did see like what Joe was saying, the decisions easier, like, well, yeah, do we want to be good or bad? Okay. Let's just try to either screw people over or help them when we can. So um, yeah, I am excited for those changes. It's kind of actually been one of those where I, I, I just like have a lot of faith in self-welfare games. So it's kind of been one of those uh, back it for me and forget about it. I don't read the updates. I don't, um, I'm just going to like be surprised when it gets here. Uh, so actually Joe actually informed me on some things that I didn't even read up on. And I was just like, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of one of those, like, here's my money. I'll, I'll get the game and figure out once it gets here. So Burnsy way to ruin Adam's blackout, dude. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You gotta, you gotta tell me that stuff beforehand. <laughs> oh, no, 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 you, you need to talk about it. And it's not like it's going to change anything. You still got to dive through all the scenarios and stuff, but yeah, no, it's, I'm super excited for it as well. So. And uh, I, I know we've talked a lot about Gloomhaven on this, on this, on po the podcast, the website, everything, uh, and Frosthaven a little bit too. But 
Uh, if you are interested in playing it and you don't want to buy the big box of Gloomhaven, I highly recommend Jaws of the Lion. It is a much cheaper, so it's like $50. You can find it pretty much anywhere. Any of your local game stores now, Target has it in stock. Uh, that's where it was initially re released was in Target. And it is a really, it does a really good job of streamlining lining the game and training you the game as you go through it. So it's something that you could easily play uh, if you have like, teenage age kids even uh or or you know with your wives or your significant others and so on and so forth i think it's a really accessible game the way that they tr tr uh, uh, teach it in that uh and still is a lot like gloomhaven it has a lot less pieces they use the scenario book uh to actually be the map and so you lay out the scenario book and then you just move your guys around the hexes there instead it's just really cool really smart and it's 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 a great way to get into gloomhaven and then from there, you could buy the big Gloomhaven or you could wait and buy big Frosthaven, depending upon how fast you go through Jaws of the Lion. So I would highly recommend that to anybody that's been interested in what they've heard about Gloomhaven, but haven't known how to get in or, or wanted to take the jump. That sounds awesome. I totally have to check that out. I have a weird Gloomhaven fantasy. I have child number two on the way in uh, May. And so like I have been toying with the idea of just buying Gloomhaven and hanging on to it for family game night in like 12 years. That's uh, that's what uh, Chewy did. Uh, he bought it, uh, and his 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 goal because he'll just play Frosthaven with me. Uh, so his goal is that he'll have Frosthaven and Gloomhaven for when his daughter's older, and then they can play it as a family together uh, because he loves it and he wants to paint the miniatures for himself too instead of just painting them for me. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so uh, I think that's that's a completely valid thing to do. Other crazy people have done the same thing. We'll say that. Yes. Yeah, I, I've done it and I have no kids. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is going to be an excellent game for when we actually start. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, That's awesome. I'm glad I'm not crazy with that line of thinking, planning that far in the future for what games I'm going to play with my current and future children. Oh, no. Oh, no. Frosthaven. I'm sure we're going to talk about it many more times on the show, and I'm very excited for it. Apparently, frozen wastelands are really hot right now. The next game also takes place in a frozen wasteland. Adam, why don't you tell us about Uprising, Curse of the Last Emperor? Okay, yeah, uh, wastelands. It must just be like the year of 2020. Everyone's super depressed. <laughs> um, this one, it's hard to say. It's either my most anticipated or second most. So why this one is so unique to me is it's an original IP. So the story is... The last, so the evil empire, right? Because that empires are always evil. Kind of suppresses the people of the land and gets power hungry. And there's these like chaos beings that come from a portal of a different world, right? So the premise of the game is you play a unique faction. And from the outside of the board, chaos is moving in. And from the center of the board, the empire is moving out. So you have to navigate those two forces. It's a 4X co-op game. So I love 4X, as I've stated before. There's, as, as to my knowledge, I don't know of any other really 4X co-op games. A lot of times co-ops, you're exploring and fighting each other. This has the element of actually fighting neutral factions. And the AI in this is honestly fantastic. And how I know is I fell in love with the project really fast. I started play testing. I started writing lore for them. I have components in the game. So I don't know if that's like a bias now for me or not. Um, I was one of two that got an honor to create actually a bad guy, like a major villain 
Um, so that was a lot of fun. And I have some items in there and some events. And so, yeah, there's eight different factions uh, that you can play. And every faction is super unique. And they like, you literally have to play that faction over and over and over again to learn the little nuances. And the factions are super cool, like thematic wise. So there's like these nomadic traders who, you know, like their actual like skills of their characters delve better in the market. So you can like cycle the market faster and find more items. Or there is um, like uh, these mountain people who are like super tanky and like just withstanding um, have, cause there's different dice. And why I think I also like this game is I love throwing dice. I love rolling dice. And there's like different, like basically spectrums of dice. I think there's like five or six and each different die has different values on the side. So that can help customize your factions even more. And I also did some playtesting, so I got to touch some of the factions they didn't release a whole lot of information on. Um, and just kind of a little spoiler alert for any IOI fans, I will kind of release this fun little fact. Um, being that, you know, my nickname is Ox, there is the Yatuma, which is a basically Ox faction that herds boars. And they ride giant battle boars into combat and stuff like that. And it's super yes. cool and fun. And so obviously I gravitated towards that and playtested that. And why they're fun is every faction is limited to five units on one space. Because you're like, you're, it's 4X. So you're out um, exploring tiles, flipping them over, building havens for your units and exploiting the resources there. But you are limited to five. The Utuma is a herd. So naturally, as you build more havens, your herd size increases. And you can basically then take, so a lot of factions are like, here, I'm doing little covert, covert ops here and there, and I'm you know flanking and different things. No, no, no. The herd is the steamrolling one square at a time coming through, just wrecking ball. And it's a lot of fun. And and the thing is, is like I it's hard to get people into 4X games because it's usually a big time commitment and it's hard and you're like, fighting them so you feel bad when it's like okay now i'm gonna blow up your ships so this is excellent because you get to you get to teach people a forex mechanic while you're working together and it's hard because the rule for winning is the ai can actually fight each other and can fight the players and every time they kill stuff they gain points and every player has to have more points at the end of the game than both the ai factions and it really ends up turning into this steamroller effect where it's like the first, the first round, it's like, yo, if I score 10 points, woohoo. But it's like, by the end of it, you're scoring like, you know, possibly 30 points around. And like, also if bad things happen, cause that's, they have a lot of dials to turn to turn up the difficulty and stuff. Yeah. Those AI factions can just shoot up the board really fast, like mid rounds and the events are usually bad and, and things like that. So it's, it's super cool. To, you know, it has a modular map. You basically randomly set up the board every time. You can randomly pick factions. They do have um, kind of a like arch nemesis type, like Drake, like big bosses that fly down too and and have to fight. And so yeah, it's it's just really cool and it's kind of unique with the whole 4X co-op. And then they're they're doing this really cool thing because uh, board game components are a big thing for me. I love minis, but I also hate painting them. It's that love hate relationship. I am decent at painting them. It's just that it's the time commitment. So they did like custom laser, 3D acrylic, uh, fully colored, um, basically standees for the game. 
So you got some nice feel. You have not just like a basic generic like cardboard sandy. They're actually cut out in shapes, custom shapes. So yeah, it's kind of really interesting. I'm super, super excited for this one. It looks awesome. How did you get connected with them? How did you end up writing lore and becoming a play tester? Yeah, so they kind of did like they they're a new company and they um had kind of this challenge to unlock they didn't want to do like full stretch goals they're just like here's how we're going to do fun things we're going to have the community kind of write stories and then give us pitch us an idea and then we're going to have the community vote on our favorites and then from there you know it was like trying to like get the stories intertwined with items and then they would take your item idea and obviously they'd have to play test it internally a little bit and tweak it and make sure it worked out well so I started with that and I ended up being one of like five that wrote like religiously. I spent hours and I'm not a good writer. You know that Tom, uh, I spent hours <laughs> throwing stuff just down, like writing these huge, like three, four page just scenarios just to talk about an item. And then, you know, they, they really took that to heart that there are some super passionate people about it. And they invited those to a small internal playtesting group. I think there's maybe 20 of us total that they ended up reaching out to through friends of theirs or people who they met through the campaign. So yeah, a lot of my stuff got voted on. I it, it kind of, not that like there's a loop in the system, but I kind of found the the more intricate story you wrote, the more people gravitated towards it. So I kind of like had this cool idea for the bad guy that was like, well, why don't we have like the emperor who has these like, or the old emperor who had like crazy superpowers before he basically made the end of the world happen. And that's what the frozen wasteland is convince one of the chaos to come to his side and they people really gravitated towards that so that the emperor actually has a chaos beast kind of up their sleeve that they can release upon them and that was my concept for for the game uh, but yeah it's kind of just like through that thing of you show passion and designers recognize that so they reach out and say hey you know this these are the kind of people we're looking for so why don't you you know, help us with this a bit. So then I started play testing and things like that. That is awesome. I think the modular inlay on the board is really cool. Like there's a, like just looking at the images on Kickstarter, like this game has a lot of visual pizzazz to it. Yes. Yes. That's part of what gravitated towards me right away is like, like I said, I'm a big component guy. So I saw the pictures. I'm like, okay, I got to check this out when it releases. I signed up for the notifications as a day one backer. And just from there, I've, I've kind of fell in love with it. And I'm super excited. I'd like, I want the physical copy so bad so I can start teaching people. Cause it's just like, just discovering what your faction does well is so fun. It's so fun. So I, I don't want to say anything in case I teach you guys some stuff, but there's this faction that basically you learn that you can basically kamikaze suicide one archer. So you send in one archer, but because of all the, the abilities and things that your leader can bring, your archer can shoot like six dice at once, which is normally it's like one die per unit. So basically what you do is you build up units and then you just send them one, 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 one out. And you're just like taking out like mini armies of bad guys <laughs> with just one guy, but you, your guy usually dies, but it's like, okay, it was worth it. I spent, you know, four resources on this guy, but he took out all these points and I got six victory points and all that. So it's, it's like, but once you find that little click, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. And every faction is that way. Like every faction you have to figure out. 
So you can't play one faction and like get it. You have to ex- experience like it multiple times. So, really so it's, it's like the le- it's like the Legolas army. Yes, Only better because yes. he dies at the end, and you don't have that annoying ass elf around. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> For the record, Legolas so. is my favorite character in the entire Fellowship. I mean, we all is my favorite, Tom. but he dies. We all have bad takes, Tom. That's all right. Yeah, like everyone who likes Frodo. <laughs> we got there, folks. We got Tom to talk about Frodo Baggins. I despise him more than any character in fiction, followed closely by Sansa Stark. Sansa, Sansa, Sansa! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one last thought on this game for me. I think it would be awesome if it's out in time and if things with COVID settle down. I think it would be a lot of fun to bust this out at the OIO Patreon Appreciation Party and uh, just, like, start teaching people there. I think my wife would have an interest in playing it. Like, she loves cooperative games, and I love playing cooperative games with her. So, like, not having that direct conflict, big selling point for our family. Yeah, you won't have to twist my arm to teach you this one. I'll let you know once I get it. Awesome. That was Uprising, Curse of the Last Emperor. Joy, you're up next with Aeon Trespass Odyssey. We finally move beyond the frozen wasteland to Greek mythology. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're evolving here. Uh, we're traveling back in time, I guess. Maybe that's more what it is. But yes, so basically what it is, is it's, a Greek, it's Greek-themed battles against gods and monsters, uh, or titans, I guess, to be more specific, because you're fighting a lot of titans too. And so the basic way to break this down is it's pretty much a Greek-themed uh, kingdom death monster. And so if you look back at the pantheon of Kickstarter like lore... The top-selling board game until this last year on Kickstarter, the top-earning board game on Kickstarter, was Kingdom Death Monster. And so what it is is it's this hugely grim, dark sort of future where demons rule the world and there's only a few humans left and you're part of this one settlement of humans. And basically you start off as these naked adventurers and you have to try to destroy these beasts and literally like tear them limb from limb in order to get materials so that you can like have some form of armor or maybe even a loincloth, who knows? Um, And so you're basically having to go through and do all of that to level yourselves up from nothing. This is going to be immersion shattering for me, but like I would be less than worthless in that situation. Like if I had to literally tear a creature apart with my bare hands in order to survive, like Tom wouldn't last very long. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't either. I'm a lover, not a fighter. So I'd, I'd have to be just trying to like, hopefully pump out the children, you know, um, otherwise I'd have, I'd just be eating meat then. And that's it. And then then dead weight at that point. I think as long as it's not a dog for me, I'm just fine. So what if the dog has evil in its eyes? Are you okay with killing? Yeah. I mean, I guess at some point self-defense, but right. Right. I've cleaned deer before. Like that's not like, imagine trying to rip its leg off. Like that would be a lot of work. That'd be really hard to do. Well, yeah, I mean, you get. Oh, no, it's one of those things you have, to, duke, duke, duke. <laughs> you have to learn how to do it. I mean, it, it's the first time it's going to be awkward and it's going to take a while and you're going to scratch your head a little bit. But after a while, you just really know you just twist it, pop it. There you go. Yeah, and then we're all Lord of the Flies. We got our shell so we know who speaks. And yeah. I've got the conch. <laughs> Shut up, piggy. Uh, anyway, and Trespass Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> So 
it, what I like about this and, and what intrigued me to this is that uh, I've 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 been tempted by Kingdom Death Monsters. So it, one of the reasons why it was the top selling Kickstarter until Frosthaven supplanted it this last year uh, was because it was an expensive game, like expensive game, like the base game was four hundred dollars. Uh, and a lot of that is because it has these massive minis that you fight. Um, and then the uh, pawns that you use are like modular. So you get materials and you can put them on the miniatures. You can swap out the arms so that they have the different weapons and things like that. So it was kind of built around that whole thing. And when it came out, it was a lot harder to make miniatures of that scale, that size, that detail, especially on the scale because they were just starting out on making miniatures. Uh, but to me, the Greek mythology theme is a lot more interesting to me than just this Greek dark, grim dark demons types of things. And so it seems really cool. And so basically what you are is you're driving, you're flying the Argo around. You you have a city that you're building around the Argo. And then you're just a, you're just a group of one to four Argonauts trying to take on the Titans and take them down. And similar to Kingdom Death, Death Monster, uh, the game kind of works on a couple of different levels. So you have your campaign book that you're going through, which is the main story. And you're making decisions about how to develop your faction uh, through that story. And and you're all working together. So this is fully co-op, uh, one to four players, just like, just like Gloomhaven is. Um, but then the games is when you go to take on a Titan or when you encounter a Titan, then you go on to this grid map and you maneuver around the map to try to attack the Titan. And... The Titan then has an AI deck that you flip up and it tells you what it's going to do uh, that is unique to each enemy that you're fighting. And then as you do damage to it, you're going to remove and add cards to that AI deck so that it gets like it, it gets either crazier or weaker the farther that it goes in. And the like the focus of this of this game tends to be a lot on trying to make things as crazy as possible the farther you get into a scenario. Like, there's, like, a rage type of thing. Their whole thing is, it's like the... Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's like the Tri... Not the Triforce. But basically, you have these three dials that you're managing as you go through the game. And you're... Triskelion, that's what they call it. It just popped into my head. And basically, what you're doing is you're... You're sort of balancing your rage, your fate, and your threat that you're generating. And basically, once you get all those things to certain levels, it unlocks your abilities as a hero as well. Um, but if you push it too far to the limit, you can get negatives or you're easier to hit from the from the Titan and stuff too. Uh, one of the other really cool things that they do is... These, that, so the miniatures are massive for the Titans. Uh, but also what happens is as they go, they unlock different abilities. So there's one where this enemy then gets these like tentacles that come out and it spins around like these whirling blades. Uh, and you actually snap those onto the miniature when like it gets to that level. And so then you have that represented on the map too. So uh, the miniatures look amazing. If they actually look like that, when, when they, when they come in the mail, it's going to be super sweet. Uh, so yeah, so that's a lot of the reason why I'm excited for it. It's, it's a kingdom death monster with a theme that's a little bit more appealing. And it's, it's a different type of campaign from what Gloomhaven is. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested in playing that with another group of people. Yeah. When I first saw this, my immediate thought was Greek Haven. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's a good way to break it down. A good way to explain it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited for this one too. Um, I don't know. What was it? July Joe that we figured, okay, 
let's text each other before we kickstart a game because uh, maybe we shouldn't be kickstarting all the same exact games all the time. So right. uh, Joe does have this one, but I'm also very excited for this one. I have been tempted by the whole Kingdom Death before. I also am a big Greek fan as well, so the theme definitely is more interesting to me. I might even have to like convince Joe to be like, hey, you know, I am a decent painter and those minis probably <laughs> have to be assembled so that might be my ticket into the campaign i'm not sure we'll see what happens the minis are actually pre-assembled it's just the stuff oh, that you, have on as you play so it really is just down to painting them to make them look sweet and some my. of them some of the pictures on the kickstarter like with really good paint jobs on them like they look amazing so I don't my like airbrush will have to make fast work of that yeah I don't like my odds of getting into the campaign. I consider Bernsey one of my closest friends. We've been friends since college. And uh, Bernsey was running this fantasy football league. And, like, there's 18 people in it. And I finally made the cut last year. It's like, I'm not in your, like, top 18 of friends. And he said, eh, I got a lot of friends. <laughs> I mean, you were in my fantasy football league before, too. Like, I think when I asked you at one point, you're like, I got too many fantasy football leagues. And so, so I don't know. I think it's on you, Tom. It's not on me. Yeah, it's always on me. It's always on me. <laughs> uh, you guys talked about Kingdom Death Monster. One of our friends had a had an association with that game. I think it was Pat. I think he randomly got into a group playing it down in Florida. He uh, he moved away, and so he didn't have his usual friend group, so he'd go to the game store to play things, and a random person there had Kingdom Death Monster, so he got to get in and play some campaigns, and I think he really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I've actually talked to him about that before too, and, and yeah, he did really like that, and he also told me he really wants to play this uh with me so so yeah pat might be in the group and you're not tom hey pat is my friend you <laughs> son of a b so if pat's in i'm in i'm the gateway to patrick <laughs> i've played left for dead with him online without you tom we we, we talk without you tom god i need to lock this <laughs> down next up dead reckoning adam tell us about this pirate adventure yeah so at well as you said it's a it's a pirate adventure. We'll label this one a sandbox so people don't think I exclusively play 4X games only. Um, but the real uh, draw for me in this one is it's called the card crafting system. So the card crafting system was first introduced in uh, Mystic Veil. Vale, and then it was uh, kind of developed further into Edge of Darkness. I got to make sure I'm saying these right. Yep. Mystic Veil, vale, Edge of Darkness. I had to check the shelf really quick. And what it is, is, uh, uh, let me, uh, have you guys played Dominion? I own it. I have not played it. Okay. So Dominion is like the, okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> Dominion is like the original deck builder, right? I'm sure you've played deck builders or people know about deck builders where you're basically buying cards and then your deck is getting bigger. And then there's some ways to like trim it down. The card crafting system puts a spin on this. And what that does is instead of actually Buying, oh, I'm going to buy this card and add it to my deck. I'm going to buy this card component and sleeve it with another card. So what it is, is these cards are super tall, and there's like usually like three or four components to each one. And as you sleeve it, the card gets more abilities and larger and unique things. So Mystic Veil was kind of like as my take on Dominion. It actually is the game that replaced my Dominion on my shelf because I love this card crafting system so much. And then it morphed into Edge of Darkness where they have this whole mechanic of this like tower cube. And I know Joe, Joe played this one with me where there's like monsters that are going to come attack your base. 
and you're crafting cards and you're getting like defense and attack and victory points and you're kind of building this but then you have this whole monster attacking thing from this giant cube tower i'm not here to talk about any of those games so moving on dead reckoning dead reckoning is kind of the epiphany of what this creator is trying to make and basically he's now turned this card crafting system into an rpg system so oh, okay. your cards are pirates. So you have your captain, you have your deckhands, you have your people. And Arr. yes. <laughs> and as you are exploring the ocean, so it's like a three by four board, and the farther out you sail your ship, the better upgrades you can find. And you can then take those upgrades and slot them right into your characters on your ship, which is also your deck. So then you're like leveling your characters and even you can flip the characters over. Um, there's like a mechanic where you can flip them over and then they level as well. So you have a leveling system, upgrade system. You can upgrade your ship. You can actually control islands. So you can like discover islands and then control them. So you can like lay down influence. And so you have like, and it's kind of cool because it's like pirate themed and everyone's like, oh, it's a pirate game. But really, if you don't want to pirate, you can actually do like pick up and deliver missions and be like a merchant more. But you got to watch out because the players who then, you know, sail their their pirate flag and come after you can fight you. And, and the, the fighting is actually unique in that there is a plunder system, but the designers didn't want it to feel super like take that um, because that turns off a lot of people. So in combat, your cards and ship basically give you so many cubes to drop of your color. And you drop them down this tower just like Edge of Darkness, and then they fall onto this giant like map. And the map says, oh, you deal damage or you steal items. But when you steal items from a player, you actually are just taking them from the resource pool. They get to retain what they have. But they can lose stuff through, obviously, damage to your ship and things like that. But it's not like you can't just constantly, like, make, like, prey on someone and, like, ruin the game for them. So that's what they tried avoiding with this whole combat system. Um, and it's kind of cool. It's like a giant pirate ship dice tower thing that you're dropping cubes down. Obviously, that's a theme that I like, too, with uh, Frostpunk and stuff like that. So um, you're dropping them down, and it laws up. But yeah, it's kind of cool. It really intrigued me, and it's kind of one of those that it's like, I love the card crafting system. I own the other two games by the same designer. It's a back-it-and-forget-it type thing, and I can't wait for it to arrive. We should do a whole show on this designer. I think that would be awesome. This game, until you said that, that you can't ruin it for somebody else, this was the Thomas of the games on the show so far. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I haven't fully played it, but, like, they they try to mitigate it, but there is definitely, you can, like, you can target, you can, like, not only target their ship, but then it's like, oh, Joe just took over that island? I'm going to go take over his island. And so if he doesn't build defenses fast enough, you can just constantly follow where Joe's sailing. I don't know why we're picking on Joe, but we're going to pick on Joe. And we can just keep on stealing his islands and, like, you can mess with people if, if you if that is your sole goal, Tom. I'm pretty positive you can do that in this game. Patrick. You might not win, but it's oh, and one other thing too is the the um, like end game slash winning achievements is kind of like scythe. There's achievements that you're like buying for, like win a combat, own an island, upgrade your ship to this level, things like that. So that's kind of interesting because I have played scythe and I do like scythe. So that was another trigger for me. Like, hey, I think this is going to be really good. So. I love Scythe. Scythe is one of my favorite games. And Patrick, this message is especially for you. You and me, Patrick, Dead Reckoning. I am going to <laughs> ruin every experience you have with this game, and I cannot wait. Uh, that that Game of Thrones, when 
You guys could have done it. You guys could have. You guys could have taken Westeros oh. against the alliance of the Hellenes and me with yeah. the Mother of Dragons. Yeah, we could have taken Westeros if the Lannisters give up the Rock. Absolutely not over my dead body. <laughs> give me the sword so I can save the world. No. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, kind of like that game of Cosmic Encounters where I had it set up and I was like, hey, all of us but one person can win the game at the same time. Let's do it. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> you all. <laughs> Board games are awesome. But this sounds really interesting. And I was going to ask you about those winning conditions. I haven't played a card crafting game, but it sounds like it's a mechanic that I would really, really enjoy. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited for it. So I'll add it to the list, and we'll have to have a game weekend or something. So we can we can play this and ruin each other's like friendships, and then we can build them up in um, uprising. Perfect. So yeah, yep. and then let's play this again, and then ruin it again. So we all go home with the sour taste in our mouths. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like when we were playing, uh, oh, Bernsey, what was the game with the Yeti? Arkham Horror. Oh uh, uh, no, Eldritch Horror. Eldritch yes. Horror. Oh yeah, God, I got so mad at you guys in that game. My wife, hey, we won. I was surprised we won. Yeah, we won because I got hot and I carried the team Turkish Trish that you guys bagged on for hours. Turkish Trish. Uh, Turkish Trish will forever be in our lore. She should have been Turkish Trish the Yeti Slayer, but Casey ruins everything. <laughs> so good. Uh, Dead Reckoning <laughs> sounds awesome. I am super excited to play that. Uh, moving from there, we are going to stick with a nautical theme. Going from Pirates to Merchants in Merchant's Cove. Yeah, so um, Merchant's Cove, basically breaking it down, it's shopkeepers in a fantasy world. So uh, the one big thing about this game is it's an asymmetric Euro game. So Euro game uh, mostly means that you're usually not like fighting each other. It's all about building up resources, gaining victory points, and so on and so forth. So in this game, you're playing one of four different, well, with the expansion, five different shopkeepers. And... Uh, Basically, each shopkeeper plays differently because you're you're running a different shop or you're you're a different type of merchant. You're doing different things. And so that can all be between being like the alchemist. So you're trying to collect different reagents uh, to be able to make different potions and then put them for sale. Uh, you're the captain or the blacksmith and you're 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 collecting dice to make different types of weapons for people to try to sell them. Uh, the sea captain kind of moves around the board and collects money uh, and, and other goods to bring back to town to sell the, to the different merchants and to sell to like kind of the other things. Uh, and, and so it seemed really cool. I actually like the thing that drew me in, and this is a little different for me because maybe uh, different from the two of you, I'm not like as huge on, oh, the components really sold me on a game. But in this one, like the art and the design of the components is so awesome. And just, it looks like I saw the board, like the, the initial photo on the Kickstarter of the board and uh, a lot of the different like sideboards and stuff like that. And the, the graphic design on it just looks so cool. It's got like kind of this cartoony-ish sort of vibe. Uh, and it's just so clean looking with like nice shading and stuff like that. And so it was just instantly compelling. And I'm also really interested in games that have asymmetry to them where everybody plays it a little bit different way. Kind of like uprising and Adam was talking about earlier. You kind of have to play as one merchant a couple of times to really sort of get into this is how I can really make it tick. But it, it seems like it's, in, it's, it's easy enough and each character has their own rule book. So you can look at how the game plays as this one 
merchant, uh, which seems really interesting to me too. And anything to spice up like Euro games where you're kind of working on building an economy and stuff uh, is, is really interesting to me. And so that's one of the main reasons why I ended up backing uh, this one and what, what has me excited about it. The uh, the different game boards look pretty interesting on it. Like I'm looking at the Alchemist board right now and you have uh, four different little cauldrons that you're putting different colored components into to mix your potions. It, uh, I mean, it's not like anything I've played before. It looks really interesting and unique. Yeah, like, and and that's and 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 I think that's the other thing. Sometimes with games, like you play it a couple of times, and you're like, okay, well, this is the play style I need to use with this. This is how I'm always going to play this game. I mean, we've talked about that with Tapestry, and how like when you and Casey play, it's like we're Tech just track fighting for the each win. other. Yeah, we're just fighting each other down the same tracks, basically. Uh, whereas this, it's different. It's you're going to get a lot more plays out of it because each of the five merchants play differently and there might be a couple of different strategies within each merchant and depending upon what strategies other people are using what you need to focus on and if it's like not a full player count game like is it different without one of the other merchants here can i do something differently to try to be better and so i think that's what was really intriguing to me is it seems like it has a lot of replayability because of that uh and, and it's going to be fresh for longer than some of those games where okay I know this is what I want to tackle. I'm going to tweak it a little bit, but this is how I'm going to approach this. Uh, so, so that that was also what what made me sort of jump in on the uh, on backing it. It's got another mechanic that I absolutely love. Every action takes time, and the way turn order works is whoever is the furthest back on the clock gets to act until they spend enough time that they pass somebody, and then that person gets to act until they pass somebody. I love that time mechanic. Uh, Firefly Adventures uses something similar, and I think it's a great way to balance turn order. Like. I don't know what it is about turn order that just irks me about going around in a circle and everyone has their turn. I like something like this, like a more active system that's maybe not more active, but more tactical. Like you have to be really thoughtful about each action and the time it takes to complete to try to maximize your turns. Yeah, that was one of the, the that was probably the coolest thing about the Firefly game, uh, to be honest. And granted, being Firefly. And, and so, yeah, whenever people give you that option as to I'm going to either do one huge thing, but it's going to it means I'm not going to be able to do something for a while or lots of little things to try to like, kind of like eke my way up. I, I think that is a really interesting mechanic. And so that can be really cool in this type of game too, where like, like when we were playing Viticulture, it's like, okay, I plant my grapes. I'm going to wait a while until I can do something else, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and that, that one's a little bit less turn ordery because you're choosing where to put your workers. And so there's a little bit more to that one. Um, Scythe. But then again, Scythe, I think, moves fast enough that when you're moving around in the turn order, you're still like actively thinking about what you can do as it goes there. And I think it's a little bit more fluid. Um, but yes, I think the time mechanic is really interesting with this. Let's take a moment to talk about themes. The thought of being like a merchant or a shopkeep does nothing for me. I would put it right up there with the freaking bird game. But Wingspan is... <laughs> Wingspan is an amazing experience, and I love playing Wingspan. I just can't get over the stupid bird skin on it. Like, Should we maybe like submit a, a suggestion to change it to the freaking bird game instead of Wingspan? <laughs> the title? What are no. you guys playing? The freaking bird game. Yep. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I know some graphic designers. We can redo like the cover of the box for it, Tom, if you ever do have Wingspan, and then we can just put the freaking bird game over the top of Wingspan there. Yeah, that's perfect. Let's just give all of my board games like a unique skin so it feels like I have a <laughs> one-of-a-kind collection. Yep. The new name for Battlestar Galactica is just still on timeout. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> but I mean, does the does the theme of being a shopkeeper turn you guys off at all, or does that not matter to you? Because it just it does nothing for me. Like I'd much rather be a random adventurer than shopkeeper A. Yeah. No. For me, it's interesting. So this is like one of the Adam and Jill wised up games. Uh, this was a conversation we had. Hey, you're backing this one. Cool. I'm gonna back a different one. Um. <laughs> so I was also interested in this one as well. To me, the thing is, is I love high fantasy, but high fantasy is just beaten to death. Like it is the, I I feel like it is just the default that most people gravitate towards. So when someone is like, Hey, I have this interesting spin. It's like, okay. Like, like you said, with wingspan, it's like bird watching really, but I still give it that, you know, the try. Cause it's like, okay, it is refreshing sometimes to have something that is slightly different so it doesn't necessarily turn me off but yeah unique um i kind of ips kind of like the next game i'm going to be talking about here does draw me in so shopkeeper isn't necessarily a turn off but it's also not something that i'm like oh yeah the theme but i am drawn in by components and art and things like that so you guys you guys are americans capitalism is what makes us run you should be excited to be a small business owner and out there on the fantasy front lines just trying to make an extra gold like this this should be the lifeblood of all of us to really want to be shopkeepers yeah how do i mess with my friends in this game uh, that's a good question. I'm not a thousand percent sure. I mean, there's interactions. I'm positive. Um, so I'm guessing there's ways that you can block other people. I'm not a thousand percent sure exactly how that would work, though. It's been too long since I watched gameplay. Can I go and like throw random components into Patrick's cauldrons? Well, I mean, there's always house rules, so we could always do anything like that. Um, I, I would, I would caution against actually like defecating on the board. Um, well, but I'm sure game, there's so ways that you can do things. <laughs> Let's see how this reagent works. <laughs> you guys have any other thoughts on Merchant's Code before we move on? No, I'm super excited to get it. Uh, hopefully, it should be sometime early 2021. And so if the if the pandemic ever like allows us to see each other in person again, that could be one that we could whip out and give a go. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Hopefully, we get to get together again soon because we have a Dark Souls board game show on the near horizon. Adam, you mentioned your affinity for unique IPs. Next up, we're going to talk about Burn Cycle. This, uh, out of all the games we reviewed here, this is the hardest one for me to wrap my head around. Why don't you tell us about Burn Cycle? Yeah, so Burn Cycle is you're riding a bike and it starts on fire and you just try to survive. Yeah, like oh. it's so difficult to comprehend. Like, why would you be riding yeah. a bike that spontaneously combusts? I thought it was all about my trials and tribulations with trying to ride bicycles. Burn Cycle. Oh, that too. Uh, no, so Burn Cycle. Okay, so this is my other like top anticipated game for next year. Why? Part of the reasons, so in our like show notes, I literally put as a bullet point, it's a chip theory game. And Tom's comment is, what does that mean? <laughs> um, chip theory games. So what's really cool is chip theory is actually local to Minnesota for us. So they're based out of Plymouth, Minnesota. Uh, their artist is also out of Minnesota. So it's a very local grown uh for us they make some just fantastic games and they also um like they don't just like develop a game and then forget it 
they constantly develop it. So there's always like updates and almost like video game patches. They literally make like updated game component patches and you, that you can update your game. So that way it reflects modern rules and balancing and things like that. So they really take their games and baby them to perfection, in my opinion. Burn Cycle is their newest iteration. So the premise behind Burn Cycle is, well, we all know humanity are basic, is just like basically full of scumbags. Humanity creates robots. We all know this classic story, right? And then robots take over. No, there's a spin on this one. Robots survive, humanity dies out because we're idiots. Robots then figure out a way because they've become intelligent to bring humanity back. So they bring humanity back into the world and us being scumbags, us humans, we now take over the robot race. So actually in this game, we play as the robots against humanity. And it's a co-op game. So they have a really fantastic co-op game called Too Many Bones. And it's basically like an RPG in a box. And the component quality is crazy, but I'll get into that later. Have some notes on that one. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a kind of a tactical movement game. And it's supposed to be easier than Too Many Bones. So it's supposed to actually be a step-in, which is kind of, I think, crazy from perspective of how I'm going to explain how intricate this is. But their games are just so well thought out. So what Burn Cycle is, is you're a robot. Humanity has taken over after you doing the favor of bringing them back from extinction. And... Basically, the burn cycle is like, a, think of it as like a limiter chip in, in your robot. So I'm a robot and I've been programmed to do a specific thing. So I may be a big, they have kind of like this big gorilla looking robot. So he's like, obviously a very physical, like can smash some doors down type thing. So he's going to bring into his burn cycle, like some physical actions more than maybe like technical actions where you can hack or something like that. And... So you bring your party of robots. So if like the four of us choose unique robots, all of our burn cycle chips get thrown into a bag and that's going to be our action pool collectively as a team. So if we all play big burly robots, our pool is going to be essentially limited to smashing down doors. So party composition is going to be a thing. It's, it's It's very much a thing. And we're basically trying to work our way through these evil corporations that the humans have created. So it's every scenario basically is three floors and each floor is kind of a unique scenario in itself that you're working through. And you're um, there's two components of the game. There's like a physical world where you're actually navigating the floor plan of the corporation. And then there's like um, kind of a hacking realm where you're like in the computer system, you like, you know, R2D2 plug in, into the computer and you're like navigating, like unlocking doors and undoing alarms and things like that. Um, And just as a caveat, this game is still very much under production. So Chip Theory Games is one of those companies that still need the crowdfunding to get stuff off of, uh, you know, the ground floor per se. So they don't really come with a fully fleshed out game because they're like, look, we want it to be the best it can be. So here's our initial thoughts. And that's kind of where we're at at Kickstarter. So a lot of this stuff is subject to kind of change. But basically, there's just, it's really interesting in like manipulating your actions. So, you know, like I said, the burn cycle is basically five chip slots on your map that you can get up to, up to five actions that you can take per turn. If the action you're taking, so like if it's a physical chip in that slot one, 
and you're taking a physical action like running through the floor plan or maybe avoiding a bot or something like that, you gain a bonus to your skill check in that because it matched the burn cycle. Um, so that's kind of how like it gives you unique um, ways to kind of promote. It doesn't dictate like it's like it could be a physical action, but you're like, I really have to hack this system. So you can still hack that system. You just don't gain a bonus. So it, it kind of promotes you to try to follow those actions in that order. And then certain robots can manipulate that burn cycle. So there's like different unique abilities for that um, as well. And then you eventually have to collectively as a group decide when you want to reboot your burn cycle. But when you reboot, your threat goes up. So basically threat is like the time in which the, co the corporation is going to find out what you're trying to do. And if that threat gets too high, you lose. It's kind of how it works. A thing I thought was interesting about the burn cycle is after each round of play, you have to flip over the last chip. So you go from five potential actions down to four, down to three, down to two, down to one. And the threat is no joke in this game. So as the, as you hit different tiers in threats, like as you hit 10, the corporation is more aware of you and they'll release countermeasures to try to lock you out of the system or to mess with you in different ways. So that's a really interesting mechanic. I had a really hard time wrapping my head around it. Like they have a great video on their Kickstarter page that dives into it in great detail, but it's such an interesting way to kind of lay out an action pool for your characters. Yeah, they 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 have very complicated systems which really makes their games just unique and flourish and in a world that's saturated by so many games. Um they really stand out to me. And they do. They they have like kind of just plugging chip theory more. They have great customer service and part of that customer service is those videos they make. They constantly make videos trying to promote ways that people can get into their games and they really truly try to help. And, and I probably one of the coolest things is that they have a Discord community and it is faster because not only are there like avid fans there and their play testers are there, the staff are also very, very active in like even the like one of the most active people is the person who writes their rule books. So you can almost have a question in one of their games and say, hey, how does this work? And you will get an answer back faster in that Discord community than you will be being able to look it up in the rule book yourself. And that, they'll be able to explain it for you. That is just, that's an insane concept. Like in my work, <laughs> like we're working on this knowledge resource center for our website. Like we're going to put all these resources in. And the thing I keep saying is like, nobody's going to go to our association website and search for this thing. Like they're going to pull out their phone and Google it. Cause that's just how you find solutions for things to have and to have a way to get solutions faster than Google. That is unbelievable. And hats off to chip theory for figuring something like that out. That's amazing. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm officially a fanboy. So take my excitement <laughs> of this with a little bit of a grain of salt, but also not at the same time. Cause they do make fantastic games. So in Burn Cycle, you're tackling these different scenarios, and the feeling I got from looking through it was almost a little Imperial Assault. Like, it's a team-based scenario game, and uh, I don't know why I got the Imperial Assault vibe over, like, a Gloomhaven, but uh, that's just, that's how the maps and layout and kind of structure struck me, was in a very Imperial Assault way. Yeah, so, and the interesting thing is, so Too Many Bones, kind of one of their big, their game that really put them on the map, is very combat-based. So the interesting thing actually with Burn Cycle is it really focuses on the tactile movement of avoiding combat because the humans just have so many more resources at their disposal. So 
And I think maybe it, it hits more of an Imperial Assault because it's more like of the sci-fi genre rather than the, the fantasy. Sure. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely focus. And that's what I think another thing that draws me in is that like so many games focus on combat. And this is like, how can you best avoid it? How can I sneak around these guards? How can I go through this vent? How can I, you know, sneak into this room? Can I lock the door behind me so then they have a harder time? Can I jam them in the network? Can I, you know, just outrun them? or set a decoy or something like there's just so many it's i i'm so fascinated by the whole tactical movement piece of it where you're literally sitting there trying to puzzle it out as a as a collective group with all different unique abilities it's like imperial assault crossed with shadow run yes yes there there i think you got kind of the nail on the head with that one we laid out the basic premise. There is, there's more to this game, even beyond what we explained. And I don't know how to do it in a concise manner. Like there's a network and like, you're trying to boost your own network signal and the uh, companies are trying to kick you out. Like there is so much to dive into with this game. I feel like this might be the biggest like brain buster to like wrap your head around out of anything we've talked about so far. Yeah. It's, and, and here's the, the interesting thing is, is this is their like solution to trying to make an easier step in, for their community because <laughs> well well so i i've i've made joe play both too many bones and cloud spire um which are other there are two other big names um i'd say in in terms of ranking of difficulty it's supposed to be burn cycle too many bones cloud spire cloud spire is this immense tower defense moba style you're sending out minions everyone has unique minions everyone has unique towers and you can play co-op versus or solo um, so they have it just every which way you want to play. And it's just, it's a massive game with so many rules and too many bones is the same way. Every person has a character with 16 custom dice. Every dice has a different side. You literally like those two games, you literally have to be like, Oh, we're playing this. Okay, Tom, here's a link to their support page. You have to go read the two page rules of your character alone before you play the game. Mm-hmm. You know, every character has their own rule set. This is what they're trying to get away from a little bit. I've tried that with my core group of gaming friends. Outside of Burnsy, it doesn't happen. <laughs> I would do it, Tom. I would do it. <laughs> well, we're going to have to move you in and like drop Duho off or something. <laughs> Duho dropped himself off, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Another couple of things that I thought were notable. On the burn cycle, it's a neoprene mat, and your chips like drop right into the mat. So like, it's a perfect fit. I thought that was a pretty interesting setup for the game. Also, over time, you're rolling a lot of dice in this game to accomplish different things, and you have dice pool, and over time, you get to upgrade your dice. I really like that mechanic. I like that feeling of progression. Um, yeah, and that's kind of a hallmark of all their games, like because it's chip theory games. It's all about the chips, and I actually really like that. Like, So much of the push in board games is like miniatures. We got to get miniatures into the game. We got to have all these miniatures, as many miniatures, detailed miniatures, miniature, miniature, miniature. And I, I actually kind of like that it's just these chips, and there's utility to the chips because... You know, the enemies, you have your HP as poker chips underneath and everything like that. It's it's a really cool way to uh, do it. And that is one thing I did really like about Too Many Bones is the decisions of, okay, what what uh, abilities am I going to use? If I do have the chance to upgrade, what do I want to upgrade? What's going to give me the best bang for my buck? And when do I use like this one thing that I really only get a one-off use of? Uh, so yeah, it's really cool. It's really fun. And they do do a lot of good thinking about how all the pieces flock together. You said do-do. Do-do. 
<laughs> I actually have a lot to say on this topic, but I'm going to save it because actually I already oh. made notes in our later later segment about their quality and the non-miniatures and things like that. So I don't know if I like just missed the boat, but like miniatures don't do much for me. Like they're fine. Like I'm happy when they're a part of a game, but like it's never a selling point for me. Like that, whether it's like miniatures, standees, like that just doesn't really matter to me. Like I don't know. I guess theme is but more Tom, important to me. That's the thing. If you don't have minis on your Kickstarter page, I don't even know if it's worth looking at. That's kind of like that's kind of how I feel the community is a lot. Not the community, but the standard I should say is so many people are so crazy about their miniature games. That it's like, oh, it has to have minis. It has to have minis. Well, I've been burned by that. I've been burned by companies that make awesome minis and there's zero gameplay to back it up. And I learned the hard way, like a huge all in, hundreds of dollars, awesome miniatures, and the game was. Oh, so that sucks. It's just like, yeah, yeah. So I've I've learned that's not necessarily the best thing in the world, but I do I do like my thematic experiences. I like to feel like I'm in the game. Sure. Well, how would you like to be in a game of football played by monsters? <laughs> Bernsey, tell us about Dungeon Ball. Yeah, so Dungeon Ball, uh, let me get on the right tab here. Uh, so Dungeon Ball is, it's fantasy-themed football. So if you're familiar with Blood Bowl, this is like a very streamlined version. The best way I can put it is, it's basically a tabletop version of Tecmo Super Bowl with a fantasy theme. Uh, and that's what sold me on it, really. Uh, the designer is somebody that does a podcast, Board Game Design Lab, where he interviews a lot of different designers. Um, he's kind of a newer game designer uh, in that he hasn't released a ton of things. And so it was a cheap enough game. And uh, like, really, it sold me at Tecmo Super Bowl on a tabletop uh, for the most part. And so you're playing as I think they I think there's four or five uh, different fantasy-based armies. So you have orcs and stuff like that. And basically you're playing football. You're moving down a field. You're rolling dice to see whether your plays are successful or not. And the mechanic that I was talking about is the offense. So the defense will play a face-down defensive play. And the offense then will choose their play. You flip up the defensive play and see kind of what the relationship is between those two. Roll the dice to see how far down the field you move. And then you kind of keep going through that progression as that goes. Uh, and then you fling a ball into the box uh, for your field goals. And that's basically Dungeon Ball. It's not nearly as deep as Burn Cycle uh, or, or any of the other games that we talked about, really. Uh, but it seems like a really fun, easy game to just sort of whip out and play. And like I said, Tecmo Super Bowl is one of my favorite games, like video games of all time. And so just having an, the ability to play that against people for a quick, like, drop-in 30-minute game uh, seems fun to me. And so that's that's why I'm excited about it. This one didn't do very much for me. Like, I like monsters. <laughs> I love football. This game didn't really grab me. Um, maybe it's because it's a one-on-one -on -one experience and it's direct competition. And, like, most of my two-player games are me and my wife. And, like, uh, I just couldn't see us getting into this. Like, if we're going to play a two-player game, it's almost certainly going to be Wingspan or uh, Cowboy Bebop or... Um, I don't know. This dungeon ball didn't do much for me. I thought the dexterity element was neat and the choosing plays against your opponent. I certainly see some potential there, but like I haven't seen my friends in months. So like, I don't know. I just don't see much utility for me in this game. Adam, what are your thoughts on it? 
Uh, I think Joe Bactus, uh, for the days that I make him sit there and think and play games like Burn Cycle, and then he's like, okay, Adam, we got to be done with these like brain burners. <laughs> and so he's like, here, let's play, let's play this one, just like in um, our retreat that we had in October. Well, what was it, Downforce? We played some big, heavy games, oh, yeah. and Joe's like, yeah, let's play Downforce. It was so mindless, but honestly, you need those breaks because, man, we had some brain cells burning that weekend. And downforce was just a very refreshing air of um, kind of fresh air really is what it was. You know, I'm kind of on the fence on this one as well. I think we'll kind of see how it is. I'll give it a shot. I'll, 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 I like football. So that's a win. I like fantasy stuff. So why not mash them? And and I'll definitely give it a shot and, and give it a fair opinion after I've played it. And I think the other thing which led to me backing it was, so I went pretty crazy on Kickstarter for a while and was backing like super expensive ass games. And so I backed myself off a little bit. I'm like, okay, we need to, we need to like, just watch this a little bit. And so then you see $30 for a game <laughs> and it's back about Super Bowl. And so then you're just sort of like, so that, that, that was like the next flurry of Kickstarter backings where it's like, Oh, it's only $20. I'll throw this into there. $9 for four like postcards that are games. Of course I'll back that. That's dirt cheap. Uh, because I don't know. It's it, it's an interesting anything that does something a little bit different, I'm a little intrigued by. And if it's cheap, it's like, ah, I'll throw $30. I just won't buy coffee for a while. Bernsey, you're a sucker for a good deal, my friend. I can certainly empathize with that. <laughs> I am a bit. That is true. I, he had a really funny joke in his uh, video for this game. Uh, he talked about how he was a college athlete, and then he shows a picture, and it's like an Auburn Tiger running with the ball, and then he highlights this goofy-looking dude, white dude standing on the sideline. He's like, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That was pretty funny. I mean, it's a unique thing, and it fits a niche in the board game industry, so I hope it does well. I just don't think it's necessarily going to be my cup of tea, and I feel obliged to bring it up. My palate cleanser of choice, Tokaido. What a fun game. Tokaido is a lovely little stroll through the Japanese neighborhood. Yeah, that's what we should play after Burn Cycle. (laughs) We've got one more game on our list. Adam, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but tell us about Anachrony. Yep, anachrony. Anachrony. Yep, at least that's how I pronounce it. I don't know if there's an official uh, pronunciation somewhere else. But so the interesting thing about this was this is the classic victim of Kickstarter. I'm looking at the page. Estimated delivery, March of 2020. Oh, no. So so we're a little behind. But the good thing (laughs) is I did did, uh, play this one. So actually, this is... um, the latest Kickstarter was an expansion for the original game. And I was actually able to play it at Gen Con of 20, oh gosh, what was that, 2019 when I went last? The last Gen Con there was. Um, so yeah, 2019. I did I did get to play this with the expansion. And it is, a, so it's a worker placement game. And the premise, the theme of it is, is it's the end of the world. But we have discovered time travel. So the time travel element is, well, we know when the end of the world is going to happen. So let's travel back in time, warn us so we can survive. So the game literally has this giant timeline, and that's basically the countdown timer to the end of the game. And you have to have certain pieces in place in order for you to even survive or your faction to survive the end of the world. So if you don't have that, you're not even in contention for winning. And then 
the really interesting element of this, so it is a worker placement game, and I love my worker placement games. Uh, Champions of Midgard, Reavers of Midgard, Dinosaur Island, I backed Dinosaur World, I have Abomination, just to name a few. I love worker placement games. I love super tight decisions where you're messing with people, but also at the same time not, because it's like, oh, I know I can take this space from that person and it's going to make them so mad because I've done it to Joe a couple times and then there's exclamations of rage sometimes. Uh, that's that's always fun. But what's really cool in this game that super like hits that sci-fi note for me is you can borrow resources from the future. So you can actually go into the future of the timeline, grab some resources and bring them back for your turn now. Now, the interesting thing is if you do that too much, it punishes you because on the timeline, you see every time someone borrows resources from the future. And if you have too many resources that are grabbed, an anomaly happens. And anomalies are really bad and you don't want to be the person that's getting the anomaly. And how the anomaly works is the person who's basically borrowed the most from the future gets hit with this anomaly. So it's like also this game of chicken, right? So like I'm going to grab two and then... Tom grabs two, and then Joe's like, well, if everyone else is grabbing two, I'm going to grab two. So I grab two. But then suddenly when the anomaly is about to come out, Joe can't pay for his. And then you and I have already planned for that. And so we pay our ours off. Like, you know, we pay f- the resources back to the future, and then Joe gets hit with the anomaly. So it's like the super interesting timeline. And, like, that is honestly the big seller for me was this timeline piece. And when I played it, it was so much fun, and it was so thinky and things like that. So it was just like... Yeah, it's a great game, and I know the designer, uh, David Tertzi, I think is how you pronounce his name. He does really good work. He he kind of, he does uh, some work with, like, Mind Clash Games, who is the developer for this, and they have a couple other games that are super, like, thinky, like that, and obviously that's what I lean towards, and that's what I look for, is I want to just exercise my brain as much as I can in some of these games. So that was the big thing for me but yeah worker placement resource management kind of tableau builder you're building out your little thing you have different scientists and researchers that allow you to do unique actions and things like that but i got kind of a scythe feel from this game is that an accurate or an apt comparison oh as much as i'd like to compare everything to scythe no i i don't i don't really i don't get the scythe vibe with this one personally it i think it does stick more to the worker placement, not the area control aspect of, of gaming. But it is just super interesting, like in, in managing, like, okay, you have worker placement spots in your like tableau you're building. But if you want worker placement so- spots out in the world, since the world is ending, it's like toxic. So you have to power up these exosuits, put your worker in this exosuit, and then have enough power to, to go out and do it. But you have to allocate your power at the beginning of the turn, right? So I said, okay, everyone is like, I choose three power, I choose two power, whatever. But then suddenly you realize everyone's grabbed a lot of power. There's only so many spots out in the world. And now I'm wasting power because I'm not going to place three exosuit workers out in the world. There's just not enough space. So like, there's this really interesting mechanic also there of, well, how much do I actually power up? And then like, that's the benefit too of building stuff within your building is there's safer spots for you to go. So it, it has just this really interesting like chicken style like interaction where you can, you Tom, you really can screw over people in this game. When you're <laughs> yes, I'm in. So, but yeah, the, the theme and the timeline and it just was 
super interesting to me. And then when I played it, I was like, this is fantastic. And and one um, other just note final here, and then I'll, I'll be quiet. Uh, the expansion like really bolsters the solo experience. So they had like a solo mechanic in the first, in the original game. And the expansion I heard just really takes it to the next level. And it's actually super fantastic for solo play as well. So It is interesting, the proliferation of solo play experience with board games in the last several years. Yeah, it's it's definitely a big thing. And it's it's weird because I always was like the person who was like, solo play. I play board games to interact with people. And now there's sometimes it's like, well, Frostpunk was the perfect example. I literally bought that game to play by myself. As much as Joe thinks it's a two-player game, I'm playing it by myself. <laughs> yeah, Frostpunk, the two-player game. Brinzi, <laughs> yeah. you have any thoughts on Anachrony? Uh, it sounds interesting. This is one of those where Adam had said like uh, so had said a lot of things about it before, and I like to kind of like he was talking about. I like to keep like things blind so that when I jump into the game the first time, it's like this is just this whole experience and soak it all in. And so other than what he said, I've tried to keep myself blind to it because I know I'll play it at some point with him multiple times, probably. Most likely. Well, that's our full slate of things that are coming up in the next year for Kickstarter. Can you guys tell us a little bit about the Kickstarter experience? Maybe we should have set this up before talking about all these games. (laughs) Kickstarter is a crowdfunding website. Basically, creative types can go on to Kickstarter, put their project up, and try to get it funded through donations from individuals like you guys. From the consumer experience, like how do you find that things are on Kickstarter and has it all been positive experience for you? So the interesting thing from my perspective is, and I don't know if we ever talked about it on the Goon Gamecast, but when I did long distance drinking way back then, uh, uh, like five years ago, I was very anti-crowdfunding. I was about as anti-crowdfunding as probably a person gets. Uh, And I still have some views about how some Uh, companies use crowdfunding but like from a board game perspective as someone that like would hope to try to create a board game at some point it is the easiest way to find or to take a community that you've built around it and then use them to fund being able to make a game a reality because the thing about board games is they are expensive to make they take a lot of upfront cash to print out a bunch of copies of a game that you don't know will sell so being able to gauge and get the money ahead of time that I can get this um, this X amount of things from people. Um, and that means I can make this many because that's the other thing is when you make a board game, you can't just print, oh, I have 100 people that want it. I'll print 100 copies. It doesn't really work that way. You have to make 2,500, 5,000 copies of a game. So you really need to be able to make sure you have the community to support it. Uh, and then I think one of the interesting things that, things that Kickstarter does is with the stretch goals. And it's like the more support we get, the more we can add to this game to make it better. So we can make higher quality components because we have more backers. And so it gives the community an incentive to say, hey, I'm part of this, I can do that. And then you have the examples like Adam was talking about with Uprising where, hey, let's get the community involved in making stuff for the game um, and get them really invested in the world and the lore too. And so it's it's a way also to be able to try to get people to want your game. Uh, and so... Those are the things that really drew me to Kickstarter, even though there's some things that like like Simon and some of the other larger publishers do that I it's really like, I think you guys have outgrown Kickstarter. Now you really need to make yourself a business that can sustain itself on just being a business um, and not just use it for pre-orders. So 
but I don't. Kickstarter is a lot of fun. I have to watch myself on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it very much is um, a, an addiction, I might say. Um, I don't know where Joe's number's at, but I'll just say I am over 50 Kickstarters. Wow. Um, and my number this last year was, I believe, a little over 25, if I'm remembering correctly. So... It's honestly the main form in which I'm receiving most of my games these days, because part of it is like, as much as I hate this, like Kickstarter really prize on the fact of like the fear of missing out. Right. So like, I love Kickstarter for companies like chip theory games. They need it to get, to get that going. And so I'm fully supportive of that. In some cases, some, Companies use it more of as a pre-order system that don't really need it as a pre-order system. They could very well pull a Stonemaier game situation, just know that they have a fan base and do a pre-order on their website. So like, yeah, there's kind of a love-hate relationship with it, definitely. But yeah, the, the FOMO factor of it is just, I'm, I'm kind of a completionist as well. So like when I usually kick a game, it's all in. It's all of it. I want I want the upgraded components. I want the fancy little embroidered bag. There's no point. That does not add to the gameplay at all. <laughs> but I want it, right? So, like, I'm one of those people that they're like, look it, I can see that sucker coming from a mile away. Let's do this thing. So, actually, I really appreciate, I really appreciate companies like Uprising that are like, here's our prices from day one. We have four add-ons, and here's the two different pledges. Pledge right at the beginning and everything we add is just going to be a stretch goal and there's not going to be a lot, but you know, if you like us and what we're doing, this is what we're doing. So like, I like applaud uh, Nemesis games for that. Um, they're, they're the kind of the startup that's doing uprising and like for like running that kind of campaign. And that what actually drew me even closer to them, I think is that mentality of we're not trying to do FOMO here. We're, we're literally a startup that we need the money to get this off the ground. And we want to try to reward the people in the best way we can, but we also don't want to like break the bank, you know? So it's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. And I have been burnt, as I mentioned before, I, I was, you know, goo goo eyed by some amazing miniature sculpts and the idea of this amazing game. And I got burnt and I got burnt bad. And, and so I do a lot more research now into games and i say that there's games that i set and forget there are but i also it's either like a trusted company that i've backed multiple times before and i've never had a bad experience or it's like things that i've you know i do look into you know heavily before i go that route but yeah it's it's an interesting concept and i know just to throw a whole other spin on it this is a whole other conversation um but awakened realms is kind of competing soon i don't know when They've been talking about ISS Vanguard releasing on GameFound, which is um, basically they're going to try to compete with Kickstarter for the board game market. So that's a whole other topic and like a whole thing, like a whole thing to dive into in terms of um, like what is Kickstarter? How do we feel about it? But yeah, I've, I've definitely bought into what Kickstarter is. I've backed a lot of games. I appreciate it for what it can be. And I also recognize the kind of exploits that companies use as well so you got you just got to be knowledgeable about it tom have you ever thought about i've backed 29 things on kickstarter have you ever thought about backing anything would you ever back anything on kickstarter i i've never backed anything on kickstarter 
for me, I like to see the physical product like in a store and have my hands on it and be able to like read reviews about it. And like I have, I have a strong aversion to wasting my money. There's only so much, so many resources that I can avert to gaming. So I want to be real sure on every like item that I purchase. I love that Kickstarter exists and that it is a way for people to get funded and to get their games made so that I can buy it hopefully in a store. But it's just not a tool that I've ever really embraced. So, Joe, the reason why he hasn't had to is he has us for tools, right? So we're the tools that are buying all the games, and then Tom's like, hey, I should play that one. Bring it on over. So, yeah, yeah, he doesn't need to. (laughs) That's a part of it, too. I mean, I have a pretty healthy board game collection on my own. It is, It pales in comparison to both of yours, and I am very thankful that I have friends that have embraced board gaming to the degree that you guys have, so I have access to so many more games. But, like, I am very frugal in my shopping like with video games i'll get a lot of things from the library before i'll commit to actually buying them so like it's i'm very thoughtful with my purchases and fortunately i haven't been burned on a board game yet like i haven't bought a single thing that i just don't like well that's that's good too yeah so if you're interested in seeing board games before they come out and supporting the industry and uh just seeing some of the creative options that are out there jump on to kickstarter it is just kickstarter.com and you can they have things across all mediums friend of the show bug hunter has financed two albums through kickstarter so it's uh it's a great option for creative types to try to get their projects paid for basically and a great way to help support artists and creators that you believe in from the board games of 2021 we're going to jump way back in time Casey is coming in to talk about the original Halo with me in our Game Pass Forever segment. Welcome back, Casey. Hey, thanks, Tom. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me and looking forward to talking about some Halo. Can you believe Burnsy's hot take in the last segment? I mean, what do you make of it? Oh, it was fantastic. Yes, I can read minds. <laughs> <laughs> For December's Game Pass Forever game, our benevolent overlords on Patreon chose the original Halo. I was excited to go back and play this iconic title for the first time. Casey, you were less than thrilled. How was this experience for you? Um, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I wasn't you know, looking forward to maybe going back and playing a game 20 years in the making, or not in the making, but made 20 years ago, uh, when there are so many other games that I, I really need to play. But uh, I'm, I'm glad that I did. Uh, it's fun to go back and play um, one of the I don't know, original first-person shooters, probably. Uh, and I've always been a fan of first-person shooters since Bond, and uh, this one was, was pretty solid. And I'll set the stage here a little bit. This was the first must-have exclusive title for the original Xbox. It came out in 2001. For the story, you crash land on a ring-shaped world. It's shaped like a Halo, which I I've played Halos 2 through everything else, and I actually had no idea why they called it Halo. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had no clue either, so this is a learning process for both of us. You learn there is some kind of super weapon on the planet, and there's a rival species also there, and they're racing towards it. And it's a race to see who can find control of this all-powerful weaponing. And it turns out you learn that there is, by the way, spoilers. If you're worried about spoilers for the original Halo, like, why are you listening to this? This game is 20 years old. But you you learn there's a horrible parasite on the planet. So both sides, the humans and the Covenant, are both being turned into this other type of being called the Flood. And then the stupid little robot shows up and he tries to trick you into wiping out all organic life within 25 million light years. 
So you have to set your capital ship or blow up and then haul ass to try to escape to safety. Did I miss any of the key points or any of the key story beats? No, I don't think so. Um, that's a pretty pretty good wrap on, on the story. So it's my first time playing the original Halo. I have an affinity for the series, but most of what I've played for Halo is multiplayer, especially on Halos 2, 3, and 4. Like those are That's kind of my sweet spot for Halo, the college and just after college era. So like this is my first foray with the Halo story, and I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was still a pretty good game 19 years after it came out. Yeah, um, likewise. I, the story for me was was good it uh it, it kept me engaged the whole time um i i'm glad that uh halfway through you got to experience uh, you know some new some new bad guys that was kind of one of the, the gripes that i had um, yeah there wasn't up. sorry there wasn't you a ton ahead. of enemy variety there was your basic grunts there were elites there were hunters which were like big heavy dudes um, and that was that it for the covenant. I feel like I'm missing. Oh, there's this uh, guys with the shields. I think they're called jackals. So there's basically four different covenant enemy types that you're fighting for the first half to two thirds of the game. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, so it was good to, when the flood did show up because then you had um, some new, new bad guys to to tangle with, and some of them are. <laughs> Pretty pretty dang tough, but uh, well, um, there's just so many of them. Like when the the yeah. parasites are taking over, they start taking over both the humans and the covenant, and like suddenly you're just swarmed by mobs. Like there is one level where I'm pretty sure there is no end to the enemies, and like we ended up just trying to haul <laughs> through it and trying to survive until the end. Yeah, you were much better at hauling <laughs> than I was in this game. <laughs> Well, I, I like to stand my ground and keep fighting, and a lot of times that was not the, not the way to go, which I which I found out about halfway through. And we'll talk about that a little bit. You mentioned that we have similar or we have very different styles in this, and like I go in guns blazing, and you tend to stand back and try to clear everybody out. And I think anyone that's played a shooter with me would share that observation with you. I'm one of the least patient shooters. The problem is I get bored. So, like, there are only four enemy types, and, like, I was interested in the story, but, like, each individual fight, it's like, you know, it's like, I kind of want to see what happens next, and so I'll see if I can just beeline it right through this mission. Yeah, I mean, it kind of made sense, too, in the fact that, you know, we were trying to get through this in the in this month that you know so we had limited time to play so your strategy for that was was good too but anybody that's played any games with me and i think you have uh, mentioned in the podcast before my memoir 44 playing is very similar to how i am in most things is i'm, I'm extremely analytical and i kind of like to all right here's a scenario i like to analyze everything beforehand and that's just not your style tom you yeah, just yeah. like you said running guns blazing and by the time i'm like walking up to everything there's usually just a pile of dead bodies and guns and i come in and maybe clean up another couple guys and then we move on to the next scenario yeah, it's like, oh they got me can you uh can you revive me and like i my corpse is in the middle of a just an army <laughs> yep <laughs> you got a big old brain dude and you know how to use it <laughs> so one of the things that stood out for me is the gunplay is still really good like it felt really good to shoot the enemies like Bungie like they crafted just an incredible game especially for its time yeah you know it was uh I, I was impressed um I, I wonder what it would have been like playing it 20 years ago if like just playing it on the, like a little bit newer gen system like made it a little bit smoother or if it was actually that smooth 20 years ago I guess we'd never know unless we make a time machine but um this playthrough I, I was pretty impressed it was kind of, it must have been just mind blowing for its time because it's still a fun game to this day. Uh, one of the cool things in the remastered edition that we were playing is you could switch between the original and 
uh, updated graphics with the touch of a button and like we lovingly endeared the low res or the old version the sh mode and I played most of the last born it like I grew really fond of the original graphics yeah I didn't realize you could do that you had you had mentioned that and I think it was we only had like three missions left and I like you I played the entire last scenario in the in the old crappy mode so <laughs> it, it was really fun like the just looking at the the difference in the bad guys and like the textures and stuff were basically all gone and they were smooth and, <laughs> and uh, it uh it, yeah it was very nostalgic um yeah i never had an xbox but like in the old days of nintendo 64 and, and things like that just the, the more boxy boxy bad guys and, and spaceships and all that sort of stuff was was pretty fun to play with it was so nostalgic you mentioned the spaceships Let's talk about the vehicles in the game. Like there are a handful of iconic uh, vehicles in the Halo game, and it starts with the Warthog. And oh my oh. God, you were freaking terrible oh. with that thing, dude. Oh, it was extremely frustrating to drive the Warthog. The other vehicles were okay. Tank was awesome, I think, just because it was really slow. But man, yeah, that Warthog, I just struggled with the just basics of it. Like one control stick kind of pans the camera the other one is just forward backwards but i could not get them to in sync and i just kept like spinning in circles and i'd hit something and we'd roll constantly and yeah i just gave up probably after five minutes and said f it tom you're driving the rest of the way because <laughs> I, I could not figure it out and it worked out well i don't know how much they smoothed it out in future versions of halo because i never had the same level of struggles that you did with it but jumping into halo one like it is not a fun experience to drive that warthog no, and uh, spoiler alert again. Twenty years in the make, twenty years ago. But the entire last scenario, you need to drive the warthog to escape your ship from blowing up, and that was kind of, kind of a nightmare. And I'm thankful that you had that time because I honestly, there's no possible way that I would have been able to get through it the way that I drove that thing. That last mission sucks so hard, and I hate it. I hate it when a game has different mechanics for like the final mission or the final encounter, and they're like they just change everything. And like. Man, I would have much preferred like a million enemies barreling in and we had to fight them all off and fight tooth and nail uh, like we did when we were blowing up those stupid vents to kind of set up the final mission. Like that was a, would have been a much better place to end the game for me. But like the last mission, it's driving the Warthog in this narrow corridor and they put all these pillars and all these obstacles in this way. So you have to drive this imprecise thing and, oh, and there's a time limit. And the first time through, yeah. we didn't beat it in the time. Well, the first time through, we died before we got to the end of the timer. The second time through, we didn't make it by the end of the timer. And there's no checkpoint in the middle of it. So you go right back to the beginning and you have to redo the entire whole stupid awful mission yeah it was pretty pretty brutal like you said it was a little bit disappointing for the end of the game i'm wondering like maybe we'll get a chance on, on future game pass forever if our whatever however you the, our benevolent uh overseers or whatever <laughs> um let, let us play that or maybe i'll just um you know give it a try but i'm curious to know if it if it's similar like i was a little disappointed with all the boards like you basically just get to a checkpoint or you know like something happens where like you free some soldiers or whatever but they, like in uh gears you know every single board that you have there's almost like some big bad guy at the end that you have to battle and there's nothing like that in this one there wasn't any sort of like reward i feel like you just kind of be just blasting your way through all these different corridors and rooms and and jungles and things like that and then at the end it was like all right we made it and boom you're you're on to the next so there wasn't really any any big like peak moments in, in any of the scenarios that I felt like really uh, 
moved it along. That's true. There was no like big bad in any of the boards. The only thing that reached a high like that for me was the scene that I mentioned just a little bit earlier where you have to blow up four different vents and so like you have to run up three levels to hit a button to open the vent and then you have to shoot a grenade or a rocket into it and they had a lot of enemies and just a lot going on there that felt like a very end of level type scenario for me or a boss fight but there's never like any big bad that we had to work together to take down that's a really good observation yeah yeah it was uh it's a little little disappointing that you know how if we talked about there's only four real distinct characters for the covenant and then you get these you know the, the flood gets added in later but no real big big bad guys that you're going against yeah another thing with this game that i thought was interesting now this is the first shooter that you and i have played together from beginning to end there is the ability to hurt your teammates in this game like your bullets hurt each other like there is friendly fire your grenades blow each other up and i mean there were instances where you got caught in the crossfire but one of the benefits of me running ahead was you very rarely died at my hands yeah um there there are definitely a few times where we blew each other up with with the frags and yelling frag out and you stuck me with plenty of plasma grenades (laughs) i love throwing plasma grenades that's like my favorite mechanic in halo is like hitting people with the plasma grenades i never i mean outside of when we were like dinking around on when we were done playing for the night like i never intentionally stuck you but yeah there was a lot of accidental blow-ups yeah, one one distinct one I remember is there's like a, a little corridor, but there was a room attached to it. And again, you had ran ahead and you were kind of blowing everybody up and there was a window and I jumped right through the window and all of a sudden a plasma, plasma grenade just boom. And I'm like, I jumped through the window, I'm ready to join the fight and I blow up. I was yeah. like, what the hell? And like, he's like, oh, frag out. <laughs> like, well, it was so surprising. I think it was a uh, rumor is just a hunter, like one of their biggest enemy types. And uh, I was mano a mano with him. And so I throw a grenade and like you bust in the window, like in between us. I was like, oh, well, that was unpredictable. Yeah, it was just a perfectly timed situation where the, the grenade was probably even in the air and I come jumping through <laughs> and it attached to me. And yeah, it was, uh, you know, that sort of thing happens. But thankfully... You know, once you kill the bad guy, then I'm able to to res back up or likewise, and 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 the story moves on. So, yeah, and we got through it without too much trouble. I could see the DNA that made Destiny with this game. Like, there were so many like similar corridors that we ran down, and even the dumb little robot that we run into was just like the ghost that they have in Destiny, which every character in Destiny has a little drone like that with them at all times. So it was interesting to see how that DNA carries over from the original Halo up through Destiny too. Mostly a good game, but the one thing I want to call out, there was one level that I thought was just brutal. You have to go through this series of, like, hexagonal bases and, like, find the door, and, like, then you go and you run through another hexagon, and then you run across a bridge, and then you run through another hexagon, and that was easily my least favorite level, and then later in the game, you had to do the same GD level just in reverse, and it sucks so yeah. hard. Yep, that was uh, one of my frustrations, too, is that... <laughs> with all the characters also being the same is that <laughs> you had to repeat you're not repeating the level it's just that like there wasn't much creativity like it was literally the same room same hallway or corridor and it just repeated over and over and over and over and over again like i don't know it just didn't seem like there was much creativity there and maybe it's just because it was a 20 year old game I'm, I'm guessing that's a lot of it but um it was still still fun blasting your way through just just frustrating to to see the same thing over and over again i think that halo was bungie's first game too so i think uh i mean it was i think it was a new team and there were definitely technical constraints working on the original xbox compared to what we're used to playing now so it'd be really fascinating to know more about 
the backstory of Halo, and maybe if I was a good host, I would have looked up some of that stuff and shared a history lesson now, but, uh, you know, we are what we are. Yeah, that's that's much more a Burns type of thing. Uh, he, he's very good at backstory and knowing all that stuff, and we just like killing stuff, Tom. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so the next game we're going to play is going to have a whole bunch of killing in it, and we're going to play Tell Me Why. Now, you suggested this game for our list. Uh, what is your level of familiarity with it? I have no familiarity with it. I just know that it's made by the... Uh, yeah, it's made I can't even think of the name of it. Don't, but, uh, it's called Don't Not Entertainment. Here's a brief description of the game. Tell me why the latest narrative adventure game from Don't Not Entertainment. The studio behind the beloved franchise Life is Strange. And this intimate mystery, uni- reunited twins Tyler and Allison Ronan use their supernatural bond to unravel the mysteries of their loving but troubled childhood. Set in beautiful, small-town Alaska, Tell Me Why features true-to-life characters, mature themes, and gripping choices. I'm looking forward to playing it. It's definitely something different than anything I've played in a long time, so I think it uh, should be fun. Yeah, I think it'll be a very different experience for you. I think, uh, I mean, After Party is going to have a completely different art style, but I feel like I'm going to have kind of a familiar vibe with where this game is going to take us, but... We know that Burns loves Life is Strange, and our mutual friend Patrick also loves it, so I'm really interested to dive into it. Yeah, me too, definitely. Um, and then I really want to play Life is Strange because our friends have nothing nothing good, uh, nothing good, but good to say about it. So hopefully this is an equally uh, pleasant and, and fun experience. Yeah, maybe I should have put that on the list. For future Game Pass Forever polls on our Patreon page, what we're going to do is I'm going to submit a game, Casey's going to submit a game, and then we'll put a randomizer and maybe a clunker. I don't know, but we're going to really limit the options down to a couple of things that we're interested in playing to try to just simplify the voting process because we had a tie this month with two votes for two of the games, and, uh, you know, that's not exactly an overwhelming endorsement. Yeah. No, I, I like that format. I think it's uh, it should be good good moving forward, and I'm excited to see what you, what you guys pick for us. Anything else you want to say about Halo before you jump on out of here? No. Um, you know, if you've never played it before uh, and you're into first-person shooters, you know, I, I, I'd give it a try. Um, like that and going back and maybe playing Gears and things like that, that's 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 something that, uh, that, I, that I would – I'm looking forward to, to potentially doing one day, uh, and I'm and I'm glad you guys in the end chose it for me, even though I wasn't really looking forward to playing it, uh, <laughs> it when it when it was first chosen. So, yeah, uh, good times. Thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. If you are interested in supporting the show, you can back us on Patreon for as little as two dollars a month. Check it out at Patreon.com/oio. That's Patreon.com/oio. So, Tom. Uh... I think we talked about this at one point, but I bought a new PC and it's coming soon. And so what that means is I got to rearrange everything in my frigging room to get my office together. Uh, So I've been boxing up a bunch of books and moving things around. And like I tweaked my back something fierce and haven't been able to work it out. Do you have any ideas what I can do to try to try to get over this pain? Absolutely, Burns. Check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, and book-moving injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. For our next segment, we are bringing back Charisma Check, and we are going to talk about the best-looking board games. Hey, lovers out there, grab your D20s, because it's time for Tom Awesome's Charisma Check. 
I am very excited to talk about Cowboy Bebop Space Serenade, which I just broke out for the first time a couple of weeks ago. This game just oozes style. There's not one main game board per se. There are several smaller cardboard pieces. They are made up of three planets, the Bebop, two deck holders, and there's one awesome stand for the Big Shot deck, which is where all the bounties come out of. Bernsey, you would absolutely just love this game. It's a deck building game, and it is just phenomenal. There are three decks of cards. There's miniatures for each of the characters. There's also standees. I don't know why they did both miniatures and standees for everyone. And like, I didn't find any reference to when you'd use one or the other in the rule book. So we've just been playing with the minis. It's probably something where it was a, it was a stretch goal to get the minis. And so then they just decided to give you both so you could choose which ones you wanted to play with. Oh, sure. That makes sense. One of the most underrated pieces of the components of this game is there is a molded tray that everything fits into perfectly. So, like, everything has a nice little space in the box. And Cowboy Bebop Space Serenade, A, the game is really, really fun, and we really enjoyed playing it. But it just looks awesome, and I love the look and the feel of all the components. Like, they really nailed the style of the show for the board game format. There is nothing more satisfying than when there is a spot for every single thing in the game. Like, I'm not an organizational freak. I am not OCD in any way, shape, or form. But it feels good when everything fits in perfectly into the box. Yeah, like, thinking of Betrayal at House on Haunted Hill, like, there are just a thousand chips dumped into one common container. So, like, if you need to find, like, the blood token, or you need to find, like, the junk pile token, or even the C token, like, it's such a pain in the like, That's why you it. make me do it all the time. Every single game, I make you the token bitch <laughs> trail. Thank you, Burns. <laughs> no problem. Like, Cowboy Bebop, I give this bad boy an 18 out of 20 for its charisma. Like This game is just phenomenal looking. Adam, you wanted to talk about Too Many Bones. Yep, uh, I haven't talked about Chip Theory games enough yet, so <laughs> I just wanted to plug one more thing. Uh, so, spoiler alert, Too Many Bones is my all-time favorite game as of right now. And one of the reasons is their component quality is the bar setter, I think, in the board game industry. Their base game comes with neoprene mats for your characters for the main board. The cards are actually made of PVC. So go ahead, spill your drink on it, Tom. It doesn't matter. The whole game is waterproof. You have chips, you have PVC cards, you have PVC deck boxes, you have neoprene mats. It is literally childproof. So... It's also Dan proof. It's amazing. (laughs) So they have, they just have amazing quality. Their dice are all custom in all their games. Like, uh, so specifically too many bones, every character has 16 custom dice for like, and they have, I even forget how many characters I think like eight or 10 of them or something like that right now. The art is all original and amazing. And the artist is local from Minnesota at that, which is awesome. Uh, all of the character, like, chips that are actually the poker chips and the the bad guys are very high quality like metal core and you can actually um to reduce cost which is kind of ironic because their games are kind of more expensive to get in but you get what you pay for honestly with them you can actually even upgrade their health so where every single um chip in the game has a metal core so they have like heft to them so you feel like you're playing and the nice thing um is that they also like joe mentioned before don't on the whole minute mini market they don't none of their games require minis and you don't lose any experience at all so like they just do a fantastic job and then you talk about organization this so too many bones the original game at this point has 10 expansions or more 
Wow. They came out this last year with the Trove Chest. <laughs> it is the end-all, be-all of board game organization. It has full art on the drawers and surrounding. It's made of MDF wood. It slides open. All the drawers are magnetic. They even have a custom-made magnetic like lever uh, of like their crossbone uh, symbol for the game that pulls out the drawers, and it holds everything for the game. I'd like to say in one small container, but they actually designed it to fit perfectly in the IKEA uh, calyx shelves, where it literally takes up one perfect cube of a shelf that you can slide into your IKEA. So they are amazing. My verdict, though, because little tidbit about me, I don't think perfection is a thing. I always <laughs> think there's room to improve. And if you check out my board game geek profile, the highest I've ever rated a game is 9.5, and there's only three of them there. And so for my verdict, I have to just give them a 19 out of 20 because there's always room for improvement in the world. But they designed it to fit a specific shelf. Like, it's got a lever to open the drawers. Like, what could they have possibly improved on? Like, they. Uh, I, I don't. Okay, let's give them a 19.8. <laughs> the thing is bonkers. I've seen it. It is It is insanely cool. Like, then the lever, lever that you can pull out the drawers with. I would say maybe the one thing it could prove on is sometimes it's hard to get the right spot on the drawer to pull it out. So there's where the ding is. There it is. Yep. 19, there, you, there you go. There you go. Yeah. For, so. for Cowboy Bebop, uh, the only things that I could think of improving were painted minis. Like they're just blank minis. And I know people paint their own minis. I have like the most artistically challenged person on the planet. Uh, and I'm sure Phoenix would do an awesome job in the minis for me. But like, I don't know if they had been pre-painted, that would have been a big thing for me. And uh, maybe more durable cards. Like I'm going to get them in card sleeves and they're going to be fine, but that's just like a separate thing I have to add. That's those were my dings on Cowboy Bebop. Uh, for me quickly, Scythe would be the game I would throw up for this. The one caveat I will say is like the minis and stuff are what you get in the box and that's great. But what really makes the game awesome. And each of the factions has different designs for the mechs. Uh, each of the characters is a really well-designed mini. Uh, the board looks really cool out there, uh, but then you can upgrade and get real money, real coins, as opposed to the cardboard coins oh my and God, the real, the real resources I think is one of the coolest things ever in like, and, and it, you, it seems stupid. It's like, I mean, they're just resources, but when you pick up the oil barrel and it feels like it's hollow inside, uh, and the metal has like all of that weight and the wood feels differently, it is really cool to have those i think everybody that's played my version of scythe when i've after i've gotten those has commented on how great that is they are the uh, best simply the best like it is an absolutely essential upgrade to my favorite game like you need to have those real components so yeah so i would say scythe i would give it a 16 out of 20 just because you got to pay extra to get those other things uh, but i think it's highly worth it if you really like the game you buy it you really like it that's a good upgrade to get for those do you ding it at all for the mechs looking so sweet but not being a combat tool? <laughs> I think that's one of my favorite things about the game is it's like everybody just thinks about mech battles, mech battles, mech battles. And really it's just like, ah, it's, they're just better for moving your farmers around <laughs> or your workers. <laughs> Scythe, what a great game. I love it. What do you think is the best looking board game? Tweet your thoughts at TomSidLogic OIO on Twitter. That's at TomSidLogic OIO on Twitter. For our final segment today, we promised some next-gen video game chatter. We've had our new hardware for nearly a month, so let's share some first impressions. Adam, you're more of a PC gamer. What are some of your all-time favorite games? 
Uh, all-time favorite games. Um, well, actually, some of my all-time favorite games actually come from old consoles because that's how I, I started. So I'd have to say uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Yes. I played to the extreme of I had to figure out how to make every single character you brought on a Jedi or a Sith because you can in that game, and I figured it out. So I, I played many iterations of that. <laughs> and then probably my other big favorite game that really just strikes like an awesome memory is called... It's a, it's actually a gladiator game uh, RPG called uh, Gladys. Was um, that the? Uh, and, um, could you play that co-op? And it was kind of a turn-based strategy game. Yes, oh and that's God, what I... really struck a chord with me. It was a mix of RPG and turn-based strategy. Um, and basically, you owned a school of gladiators, and you could outfit them with different weapons, and you could go to the different towns and hire new classes, and and you played through this like four different region campaign, basically, and those. Those two would probably be my two favorite video games of all time. Um, like I said, I do play a lot of MOBAs. That's kind of like my default. like, hey, I need to just do something mindless. So I'll go yell at people in a, online and make fun of their dad or mom or children or whatever it is and be a <laughs> terrible influence person. But um, I do like RPGs in the video game. And I, I have leaned more towards PC for me. Not that I'm like PC Master Race or anything. I really appreciate consoles for what they are. For me like the upcoming thing and it's kind of released so it's, it might be kind of a cheat but it's actually an rpg that i'm i'm really excited for that i haven't been excited for in a very long time and that would be cyberpunk 2077 yeah um so the just for listeners and like a little bit on me the last big rpg that i dove into is actually elder scrolls oblivion i played skyrim kind of meh but Oblivion was the last one I really dived into like I did with Gladys and Star Wars Knights of the Republic. And I think Cyberpunk is possibly that next one on my list. Um, from the reviews, I know there's some glitches going on. It seems to be more in the console area than PC. But the, well, first of all, one winner for me is it's based off of a tabletop RPG. So right there, it's like, okay, tabletop RPG. I like where this is going. It has multiple different endings. And I think one of the best things that describes my excitement for this is in the IGN review online that I was looking at, they do a really good job of describing, um, this is like, if you think of your typical RPG, it's like a tree, right? So you're growing really tall through your campaign and it, you have some branching out, but ultimately you're going from the, you know, the bottom to the top. They describe this more as a bush, right? So it, it's wider. And so you have a lot more intertwining paths faster. And so I, uh, the ahead, other interesting ahead. thing, since you call it, you say a bush, you can customize what your bush looks like. <laughs> yes. The character like, is fantastic. Looks like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. John, thanks for that little tidbit. Um, but yeah, I'm, super, I'm, I'm super excited uh, from like what I've been reading for like, you know, friends talking about, Oh, I did this and this and this. And it's like, you're five hours into the game. And I've already had a mission that you haven't because I interacted with this character in a different way. And like, to me, those choices that are like downstream effects are fantastic. And I think, you know, kind of like pulling on my roots of like Star Wars and Knights of the Old Republic, you could go light side or dark side. And those effects had different changes on how you interacted with, you know, the world slightly. And, you know, definitely not to this extreme, but that is probably the biggest excitement for me on this. And I'll, I'll kind of turn it over to you guys because I think you guys are also excited for this one. So I have not been this excited for a video game I honestly can't remember the last time I was this stoked for a game. Like this is my most anticipated game in years, maybe decades. Like 
I don't know. I'm so stoked. Oh. It's got a kind of a Shadowrun vibe, and I love the Shadowrun dystopian corporations run the world type future. And like it, I'm just so excited to dive into this. I really hope that I get it for Christmas because I am an extremely frugal gamer. Yeah, well, I've been playing it. I'm about three to five hours in. I've done the first few story missions. Haven't really explored a lot yet uh, outside of like the initial part of the story. Uh, but already there is some really cool stuff in the game and the characters are instantly really intriguing that you interact with. I also think I was talking about this last night with some folks too, a little bit. It's really interesting kind of playing and towing that line between your fallout and, uh, and elder scrolls completely silent protagonist where you throw in their dialogue things, but there's really no personality there. And then you have Geralt on the other end where it's this fully fleshed out character and you're just slightly guiding it. V, which is your character in this, is a little bit more of an open book. It has a personality to itself, but you're spicing that up a little bit by choosing one of the three backgrounds and then what you're saying. And all of those things kind of play into uh, what options you get in the dialogue tree, which I think is really interesting so far. And then the other thing you got to make sure that you do is... However you're tooling your character, make sure you play to those strengths. So I started by putting my skills into like hacking and stealth. And I tried to play the first mission by just running and gunning. And I got my beat pretty bad uh, until I did stealth. And it's like, holy crap, I dominated this thing. And so you really got to make sure you're playing it, you know, not like me and smartly <laughs> so that you uh, can handle things. So I'm just scratching the surface of it. One of the other things that has me excited is the main story is only about 30 hours, which is huge because if they're saying this is replayable and you can try doing things different ways and see how that goes, like I'm really intrigued that maybe I will actually get a chance to play through it all the way, even though it's an open world game. And I might hit that point where it's like, ah, my brain just freaks out, but I hope I can see it through one way try it a different way and really see what's different. And it's still like a lot shorter than Skyrim, which I think is really cool. But I heard also if you do a lot of the side stuff, it just like the amount of playtime just skyrockets at that point. So I, I, I've enjoyed it so far. I'm really excited to keep playing it. I was hoping you would hate it. So it'd be an awesome game. <laughs> <laughs> no, not just it's fine yet. We'll see. It, <laughs> that could still happen. Now, we are doing a cyberpunk show next year. I think it is March or April, I believe. So uh, we're going to put a lot of time into this game, and we're going to do a deep dive. But uh, if you're worried about spoilers, you know you have some time before we actually get to discussing it here. I'm really sad to see the reports of the poor console performance at launch. I'm sure uh, through the magic of modern games and patching, they're going to be able to fix all of that. But, uh, I mean, does it make sense to buy games at launch anymore? Like, if it's going to be a horrible, buggy experience, like, I've been... The last couple games I've bought at launch, I've been largely disappointed by. The ones that jumped to mind are Final Fantasy VII Remake, which was not a buggy mess. I just didn't particularly care for the game. The mm -hmm. masterpiece that it was from all technical aspects. Uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, Octopath Traveler. Like, those were all just big letdowns for me. I guess they all worked, so it wasn't, like, performance issues. Yeah, I, I mean, so far I've ran, I've only crashed once um, the few hours that I've played. Uh, there's been some weird random things like one like enemy when he died just flew all over the place for a while. Went into a, a, a club and uh, one of the one of the one of the NPCs was in a T pose just standing there, which I mean, that's my default club like 
stand that I do yeah, every I time I go that from in college. Yeah, we used to go to the haze and just stand there in our T poses trying to attract a mate. Yep, you know, spin around a little bit. Um, so there's been some weird, random things that have happened with it, but nothing that's been great game breaking. But I'm playing it on the PS5. The one thing I would say though is the graphics. When I was playing it at first, I was like, "Huh, this like doesn't look great." And on def- by default, they have this film grain filter on that, especially with like NPC faces. Uh, unless it's like one of the main NPCs made them look really muddy. And it was like elders. It was like fallout three level, like the way the face looked. Once I turned that off, everything looked a lot better. I don't know why they put some of that stuff on by default. I hear it's because they're trying to like get rid of some of the jaggies around a lot of the edges and stuff. So I would say if you're not liking the look of it at first tweak with some of those graphical filters that they have on, there's like five, I think on the console version. I think there's a few more on PC, uh, tweak with those until you get it to look a little bit better. There's nothing I like better than getting a brand new video game, getting completely patched up, and then diving into the menus to fix some visual settings. <laughs> yeah. You gotta love it. That's Cyberpunk 2077. I'm sure I'm gonna love this game. I'm so excited to play it. Haven't gotten it yet. I have picked up Godfall from the library. Godfall, it wasn't super on my radar, but it's a melee action loot fest. It tries to be a mashup between God of War and Borderlands and Diablo. Uh, The main character is a king who is betrayed by his brother who is working to become a god. Uh, I wasn't particularly excited for it, but I went through the library website and I put a hold on literally everything PS5 that they had, and this just came up first. So, you know, I got it. I checked it out. Well, from a narrative standpoint, it's like a subpar version of God of War, and kind of from... Uh, structural standpoint like it feels very much like moving through God of War's world come across a small arena of enemies fight them move on to the next thing the combat is pretty fun you get to choose from all your basic fantasy melee weapons whether it's spears or giant ass hammers which is easily my favorite great swords dual blades um, kind of your standard fantasy fare the combat is good everything else in this game is just kind of lacking for me it looks beautiful. The environments are incredible. The uh, particle effects when you de- destroy an enemy, they just like explode in the shower of like fluorescent shards, and that looks pretty awesome. Um, but oh man, the main character, like this is kind of curious. We, there's a bunch of different armor sets in the game, and they all have like a different animal theme. And so like I, you start off in like this beast theme, and it's a lion or some shit, and you have very like muscular manly voice and then you switch to the phoenix armor which i'm drawn to because my wife's name is phoenix and suddenly you have a female character voice and it's like what's going on here like does that identity of the character morph with the armor i just thought like if it's a conscious choice i think that's interesting but like i just i don't know i hadn't counted in games before so it, it seemed weird to me huh weird yeah uh it's a loot fest so you're getting all these different uh, items and for me just like swapping between them is so tedious like Diablo uh, like Diablo on the PC is the best because you can hover over an item see if it's an upgrade or not and uh, inventory management is a lot better they're like here like you see oh great I picked up another green dual blades have to hit the touchpad go into the menu it's like oh is this an upgrade over my current blades nope okay great recycle oh great I picked up another one. Oh, I picked up another one and, like almost any every enemy you fight drops an item and like the upgrades don't seem that noticeable so i'm just i'm torn i'm turned off by the inventory management and the last thing i want to note i got to the first boss after about four missions and like there's four 
There's four sub-bosses in the game, and then the big bad, the brother, is the fifth boss. So it's not a terribly long game, but there are only, like, four missions of the first boss. And then I get there, and I'm, like, grossly underpowered, and, like, it's a three-phase fight. The second phase just kicks my ass. It's like, oh, great. I guess I'm going to go hunt that giant boar a bunch of times until I level up a couple more times and have a couple more skill points. Games are fun. <laughs> All about that grind. All about that grind. And it's like, I don't... I can appreciate a grinding games like i play a lot of grindy stuff but like this like there's only three other missions i can grind and it's like there's i don't want to fight that f- more anymore <laughs> like how many times do i have to massacre this thing <laughs> so that's godfall it has positives like just the moment to moment fighting of enemy dudes is fun and like the effects look great and like swinging the big fantasy weapons is pretty fun like the giant hammer feels like monster hunter it's not as satisfying as uh taking down those giant monsters but there's some fun to be had there, but overall, so Godfall. Think, oh, go ahead. Do you think it would be more fun if you had like two or three people playing alongside you? Because it is co-op, like Borderlands and a lot of those other games are too. Would that help with it, or do you think it's just not worth the money and you wouldn't recommend it to friends to pick up to play together? Or for a new release price of like seventy dollars for next gen exclusive, I. I would hate that purchase. Like if I could get it on super sale, like my price point for this to play with friends would probably be about 20 bucks. Like gotcha. if I could get it for 20 or less, I don't think like the moment to moment, depending on how they do the scaling, I don't think the moment to moment fights would be interesting, but those boss fights, boss fights could be pretty interesting. So like if the one that I'm fighting right now, she will, after you do so much damage to her, she teleports. She like just pops into the ground, boop, and pops up across the map. And it's like a pain in the ass to have to run over to her and run through her spells to try to get back to her. So that, that would have some potential with other players. One mechanic that they do have that is interesting, your basic attacks are R1 and R2. R1 is a light attack, R2 is a heavy attack. And as you do R1, this little gauge builds up on the enemies. And then if you do an R2 attack, that gauge explodes. So like you can set up these massive attacks by huh. doing your basic attack repeatedly to build up this basically super-powered attack as a finisher. So that's kind of neat. But other than that, not many of the systems did much for me, like... It's a next-gen title, and it looks like a next-gen title, but Godfall didn't do too much for me. Burnsy, you've been playing Bug Snacks. This is a free title with PlayStation Plus. I don't really know anything about it, so why don't you tell us a little bit? Yeah, so I, the best way I could distill it down is that it is like Pokemon, but on acid, but it's a little bit different. So the the whole setup is that you're this reporter, and you're trying to get... Uh, you're trying to meet with this explorer that found this island that has these mystical creatures called bug snacks. And, and so basically what the bug snacks are is they're these they're these beings that move around and their whole thing is that they are food related bugs. And so like, for instance, it will be a uh, hamburger that walks around like a spider and they're called bungers. And one of the most endearing things is that they say their own name, kind of like Pokemon do. So it's like the little, you know, this little cheeseburgers walking around. It's like bunger, 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 bunger. Uh, and so the, all of the different animals have personalities uh, to be able to catch them. So you have the, the strawbies, which are little strawberry bugs. Uh, and those are easy to catch. You just throw your trap out, catch them in there. Good to go. But then the bungers, they're not, they're going to like attack your trap. So you can't catch them. So you have to try to find a way to get them to knock themselves out in order to catch them in the trap. So then you have these plants that have sauces. So like you can go to a ketchup plant and harvest ketchup. You shoot a rock with that. The bungers go crazy for ketchup, runs at it, 
knocks itself dizzy, then you can trap it. Uh, and then there's all sorts of other things too, where you throw it on an enemy to get them to knock that enemy out so that you can cap or, or, or another, uh, another bug snacks to catch it. And then there's the whole mechanic of eating the bug snacks and feeding the bug snacks to other people. And so for instance, if you feed a strawby to uh, one of the NPCs, all of a sudden their right hand turns into a strawby and their right hand is a strawberry. And then you'll have like their left foot, their left leg will be a fry. And it's just this weird amalgamation of crazy stuff. And you're basically going around and trying to do these things for the different NBCs to rebuild this town to get this explorer to come back so you can try to find out what the deal is with the bug snacks. And so you're you're trying to do all these little things and explore and find all the different types of bug snacks and catch every catch uh, versions of them and feed them to different people for different benefits. It's really weird, charming, and fun and quirky. Really super quirky. It sounds like all those things. I'm gonna take a hard pass. I'm gonna stick with Godfall. Adam, what are your thoughts on bug snacks? Overall, the online, because the internet is the know-all, you know, be-all, end-all, right? People agree more with Joe than you, Tom. I'm sorry. Actually, by about, like, um, like, you know, 8 out of 10 for Bug Snacks, about a 6 out of 10 for Godfall. So I I might, I think you might be in the minority there. But um, if I were to choose, I think I'd have to try the Godfall first. (laughs) Yeah. But Bug Snacks was free with PlayStation Plus, so there you go. I appreciate it as a quirky, weird thing. Not necessarily what I want when I have my gaming time. Exactly. I, I, I can get that. You talked about this a bit on Unfiltered, but why don't you tell the broader OIO audience about your experience with Astro's Playroom? Yes, Astro's Playroom is phenomenal. It, I mean, it was really built to be a showcase of the PlayStation features, uh, PlayStation 5 features. And so mostly about the DualSense controller. Uh, and then also some of the other features are kind of exemplified within this as well. And so basically uh, the new mascot for PlayStation consoles has been Astro and the Astro bots. The pack-in for the PS4 was all about like the DualShock 4 features. There's a game for them on PSVR that showcases a lot of it. Uh, But this one is basically a 3D platformer. And a lot of people have likened it to being as good of a 3D platformer as Super Mario 64. Uh, And it is. It's really fun to platform as. And it does a really great job of showcasing the extra functions of the controller. So the haptic rumble depending upon the thing that you're running on or the things that you're doing rumbles in different ways on the controller, which is really cool and super immersive. Like you get the feeling that you are Astro running around or flying around, gliding around through the environment uh, based on that. If there's like this one part in one of the maps where you're walking through this sandstorm and it does, it feels like grit on your hands as you're walking through that. Uh, And then the adaptive triggers, it also does a fantastic job of showcasing that. So one of the things that you'll do is you'll get into this spring suit and you have to tilt the controller to aim towards what you need to jump towards. And then there's like resistance as you pull down on the trigger to like put yourself lower and lower to spring load the spring to shoot yourself up, which is really cool. And it feels super great. And so it really shows you like what are the types of things that they can do with this controller uh, if they really try. And so if you have a PS5, you have Astro's Playroom for free. You really need to play it, Tom. You really need to play it. It's free. It's on the game. It's on the system. You have it. You should play it. It's phenomenal. I can't recommend it highly enough. I'll check it out. But here's where I take umbrage with the comparison you made. 
Super Mario 64, like, was a revolution. Like, it changed the entire platforming genre for all time. It is a trendsetter. Like, how could Astro's Playroom have... It sounds... I mean, it sounds great. It sounds like a wonderful experience, but it also sounds derivative of that, of Super Mario 64. And I, I don't like that comparison. Um, I mean... Any 3D platformer is going to be derivative of the 3D platformers that came before it, you know. I mean, because Mario 64 was the first one, it, you know, set the standard for the genre. And I'm just saying what a lot of, like, reviewers and critics and just other game players have said in that it feels really good. And it's one of the best 3D platformers, or it's the best that a 3D platformer has felt since, like, Mario 64, uh, so that's what I'm, I'm not trying to say it's better than Mario 64 in any stretch of the imagination, but it, it does lots of good things. And the controller, I think, is a revolution in like how you can interplay with a 3D avatar in a game like that. I think it really does a good job of showcasing that and 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 how that functions and 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 how that feels. Sure. Well, Bernsey, I put a lot of faith into your taste in games. Like, you've turned me on to some things that I really enjoy, most notably Death Stranding of the last generation. Like, I have a lot of faith in your taste of games, so I will definitely check it out. I just, boy, that felt like a strong comparison, putting it up with such a revolutionary game. How does it compare to Super Mario Odyssey? Um, I would say it's it's fairly comparable, because there's, it, it does... So like Super Mario Odyssey, like the hat was a lot of the things that you interacted with. Uh, there's nothing necessarily in there that's the same as that. But from like a 3D platforming feel, it feels a lot like that. Like it's tight. It controls really well. You have more control over it with like, like I was saying, the adaptive triggers really does help with that. One of the other really cool things that this game plays into more than any of the other ones I've seen on the PS5 is the activity cards. So yeah, if you hit the PS button, you go back kind of to a menu. And uh, with the PS5, it can give you sort of status updates as to where you're at. So it'll say you are 75% complete with this this uh, world and you're 25% complete with this world. You can click into that and it will jump you right to that part of the game like instantly. And you can jump in and try to do that. And then say, oh, I'm trying to find this last puzzle piece. I don't know where it is. You go into there, you find that achievement or that uh, puzzle piece in there. It will show you a quick video as to where to go to see it. And you can go to that point in the game and collect that. So it makes sort of some of this collecting stuff. It's really cool how they're interplaying with that. I haven't seen many other games do a lot with that yet. Uh, it's something that I don't know that there's going to be a lot that some games will do. Like Demon's Souls purposely hasn't done it because it's the complete opposite of how they want you to experience that game. But uh, it's really cool. And it's a really good job of showcasing like what next gen can be. So it sounds like that is a long way of saying that anyone who doesn't like Super Mario Odyssey is crazy and just wrong and doesn't like good video games. Yes, that's 100% correct. Super Mario Odyssey is the best game to be on Switch. Yeah, definitely. One game that I have been excited about is Watchdog Legions. I uh, I haven't played the Watchdogs games before. I, well, I dabbled a little bit with the first one and really wasn't interested in it. But uh, Legion, I heard Game Informer's coverage on on their podcast, and it sounded really interesting how you could recruit anyone from the city of London into your team. So that was my first PS5 game purchase. Uh, I was pretty excited for it. I'm not as excited as, say, Valhalla and Cyberpunk, but right up there. 
And after my first couple hours, like, I'm really happy with it. Uh, setup seems pretty standard for open world games. You start in this small little area, you liberate it, and then gradually expand into other neighborhoods. And the more neighborhoods you have, like the more people you can recruit and the more things you can do. One thing that I find is so interesting with Watch Dogs is with Watch Dogs Legion is it gives you a lot of non-combat options for tackling missions and like I don't have any problem with playing a shooter and ripping through dudes or demons or mechs or whatever they set in front of you but this just kind of feels like a fresh take but I suck so hard at stealth games <laughs> so it's like I see all the tools in the sandbox I'm like all right well there's a trap there and I can hack this camera and see that thing to trigger it to do this and this and like I just my brain can't put those pieces together in any kind of coherent form and so, like, it's a lot of fun to, like, set off this trap and see a dude go stumbling into it and then fall over and be incapacitated for the rest of the mission. But, like, I just can't. So far, I haven't been able to wrap my head around how to do it effectively or consistently. And I did one mission, and, like, I got my ass kicked. And, like, I'm trying not to kill anyone. So, like, when they noticed me and all the guards came chasing after me, I was trying to punch them all out. <laughs> Didn't not, work. Not so much. And so I had to restart the mission, and this time, like, my, uh, the first person I had on my team has a little spider drone. So this time, like, I just stood with my back to a pillar outside the zone, threw out my drone, and just kind of walked in, walked over, hit the button to do the first thing, like, walked over, hit the button to do the second thing, boom, mission success. <laughs> just like using the spider drone and so i'm like oh well this game's gonna be pretty easy i go to the next mission and i set up a couple of traps <clears throat> i try to do the same thing but this time they find my spider drone and kill it and then they realize someone's like messing with their stuff and then they hunt me down and i try to punch my way out and came over again <laughs> so i think this game has a lot of potential i'm not particularly good at it but i'm having a lot of fun with it in the early missions the big dilemma I have is when you turn on the game, it gives you the option to turn on permadeath or not. Generally, I'm a fan of permadeath in games, and like I like that risk mechanic. But this game, like I'm not good at stealth games, so literally every time I bring a character out, their life is going to be in peril. And like I like my initial character and his little spider drone, and I know I could find somebody else in the city of London that has a spider drone, but like I might have to run for like an hour profiling 100, 200 people to find someone else with a spider drone. So like... I'm thinking I'm going to have to turn off permadeath just because I'm so bad at the game, which I hate. It makes me like, it makes me feel bad about myself as a gamer, but I think I'm just going to enjoy it a lot more that way. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And, and can you, can you toggle it as you're playing? So could you turn it back on after you get your legs a little bit? You can't turn it back on. You can turn it off if you start the game with it on, but once you turn off permadeath, there's no going back from that point. And like the game informer reviewer recommended starting with it on because you thought yeah. that was an interesting way, but like I can just see myself doing something dumb, like not noticing a trap or not thinking something through fully and like losing a character that I'm attached to. And that doesn't seem particularly fun to me. I mean, you can try to save scum it. And so if something goes awry and you know, you're going to die, just quick, turn the game off, reload it from the last save. That might be a way for you to handle it and still keep the permadeath on until you get your sea legs a little bit. Yeah. But that's, that feels like cheating the system. Like I'm not a big fan of save scumming. I don't, I, I do it. Yeah, I do it when necessary, but like I don't feel good about it. At least with the new consoles, like restarting the console only takes moments. Uh, I don't know. It's um, so far. I'm really interested in this game. Uh, What's take, the quirkiest uh, character that you've recruited so far in your group? Oh, I'm still really in the beginning. I my first oh, okay, character okay. is a game designer, and he has a spider drone. I have a driver. I unlocked like an elite hacker and I got a construction worker, which I need for the next story thing. Okay. 
And recruiting a character, like I found the driver just walking down the street and I'm like, oh, well, she has a car. That'll probably be useful. And so like, I'm like, recruit this person. She's like, oh yeah, well, I'd love to help. But like these two dudes beat up my friend. So like I had to trek my ass halfway across London to go find <laughs> that their gang hideout and beat up everyone there. And um, I mean, it was fine. It was fun gameplay, but kind of tedious. And like, if I'm going to have a team of like 20 people, that's going to get real old real fast. Yeah. Also, with the setting for the game taking place in London, like the slang and the language they use and like their accents, like, boy, it is like being plopped down into BBC world or something. Like, it just <laughs> feels completely foreign and interesting to me. Like, I like it. The vibe is cool and it's very consistent so far. But, man, it's it just feels completely different. Interesting. I'm definitely intrigued. That's one that when they revealed that that's what they were doing with it, I was super intrigued by it. Just too many things to play right now. And I'm trying to get better at not buying stuff until I know I'm going to be ready to play it. And especially with the limited uh, hard drive space on the PS5, I'm really trying to keep that to just like stuff I'm actively playing and try not to like hoard stuff as much on PS5 as I did on other uh consoles yeah, before maybe i totally get that like when i was waiting for watchdog legions to show up i sent out a funny tweet where i'm like watchdog legions isn't here yet i have nothing to play and then i sent a picture of my uh, ps4 game shelf which is two <laughs> two games deep and like a full shelf in my bookcase <laughs> but benefit of the pc pretty much it un like just constantly just add more memory add more memory <laughs> add more space so but actually uh I, I didn't really like I, I don't follow video games as much as I follow the board game community. So you actually talking about it has kind of intrigued me to look into possibly getting it for the PC. So it sounds very interesting. Yeah, it's fun. And like I like open world games more than Burnsy does by quite a bit. But I, I really like the mission structure. And it seems like you have different ways that you can go about it. Like I know I could have a gun and I could go in and I could shoot out, shoot all the guards and then hit the button. But like I felt so clever using my spider drone to sneak in. And then like after you hit the second button, they're like, all right, now get out of there, bruv. I'm like, all right. And I just turn off the spider drone. And I'm like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> I'm standing outside. I win. <laughs> nice. Really satisfying when something like that comes together. Watchdog Legions, pretty cool. Like, I'm excited to dive more into it. The last game we have on our list, Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Despite my love for Spider-Man, like, I did not pounce on this game immediately, and Burnsy didn't buy it physical, so God only knows when I'm going to get my hands on Miles Morales. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would highly recommend it, uh, especially if you... I know you loved Spider-Man 2018, and so this is just more of that uh, through the filter of Miles Morales, who I think... I might get crucified for saying this is a more interesting character than Peter Parker is um, uh, just because uh, like he's newer, fresher ties into like present day earth more than like Peter Parker, who's been around for ages. Uh, and, and yeah, I I've only played the first bits. I've, I've been able to mess around with one of the new kind of gameplay mechanics that comes in there is like the electric abilities that miles has compared to what Peter Parker has. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, like I, like I've kind of said on unfiltered, the haptic, the haptic uh, rumble is really pronounced in this game, and it does feel really good with the adaptive triggers. Like you can kind of feel the web in your hand as you're sort of gliding from building to building uh, with the spider or with the, with the webbing, uh, which is really cool. Uh, and graphically, it looks phenomenal. The loads are like instant which I think is also really cool. 
And uh, right now they're doing a really good job of, of building up the character of Miles, who you get introduced to in Spider-Man 2018. But uh, he's obviously the main character in this and sort of that kind of thing with him in that, like, I'm this other Spider-Man. I'm like second fiddle. People don't really know me. How do I differentiate myself and show that I'm just as good and I'm going to be a benefit to the community as well. And, and tying him into a separate community, like he's Harlem's Spider-Man, I think is a really cool, interesting way for them to take the story. And so I'm excited to kind of jump into it. I've only just had like the big bad, very slightly introduced. Uh, and so hoping to make a lot more waves in that along with cyberpunk here over the next, like over the next month. How's the re-onboarding? Like, for me, one of the reasons I haven't gone back to Spider-Man 2018 or played that DLC is because I bounced off that game, and, like, the thought of getting my skills back up to, like, being able to maximize all of Peter's abilities and gadgets and being able to tackle that endgame content, like, that's a little bit daunting. Like, I don't want to jump in and get my ass kicked. Yeah, so the benefit of this is that you're, you're, I mean, you're jumping kind of into the thick of it pretty early on, but it's not like if you were jumping into the end of Spider-Man. So it might actually be a good way for you to kind of get, get those reflexes back again. And then you could use that as a springboard to jump back into the other game to play through the DLC, because you kind of have those reflexes and your combinations down. You might miss some of the abilities that only miles has that Peter doesn't have, but it'll be a really good way to kind of get back into the flow of it, to jump back into the hard stuff. Cause that was difficult uh, cause I bought the DLC long after, like a year after I played it and it was tricky jumping back into the end of that game and like really hard stuff right away. Uh, so I think that would actually be a really good way to springboard into it. And you can buy an ultimate edition, uh, of this game that comes with a PS5 remastered version of Spider-Man 2018 also. Uh, and they updated, uh, the PS4 version so you could transport your save over. So it'll basically just... Uh, put you back right where you left off uh, and you can play it on PS5. Otherwise you can play the PS4 version on your PS5 uh, just by putting the disc in if you had it on disc or downloading it if you had it on digital. So, so yeah, I think it's a really good way to get back into Spider-Man. That is awesome. You mentioned the, uh, the feedback and the triggers. One thing with Watchdog Legions, like the first time I fired an automatic weapon in that game, like I'm like, what the f is happening with my hands? <laughs> <laughs> Like, it, uh, it has a very unique and different feel to it. Like, if you've played shooters in the past, like, you haven't played them with the PS5's uh, adaptive triggers. Yeah, it's 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 super neat. I'm really excited to see how developers, like, play with that and mess with that and really dig into how much more immersion that can add by just having that extra link and connection into the game. Uh, I think it's really cool. Uh, and I'm super happy that they did something like this to make it truly feel like a new generation instead of just, oh, it loads faster. Great. Uh, <laughs> I think that's I think that's really cool. And it, it it that's what helps push games forward. Having new things and new ways to interface with the game uh, is is great. Games are fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to be excited for both in the tabletop and in the console space adam joy thank you guys so much for being here today is there anything else you want to get on your chest about board games or next gen consoles no i mean hopefully we'll be able to play games in person again sometime in the next few months it would be fantastic to do that again <laughs> like nothing like the timing of starting a board game night monthly 
to like the instant pandemic. We got two months in. Well, we'll see you guys sometime. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we never even brought that up. You guys did something really cool. Like you started a monthly board game night, combining all of your groups of friends to like this one mass amalgamation. That's where I played Wingspan for the first time. It's just like an awesome thing. I think you had 15 guys the first time, 13 or so the second time. Yeah. Just like all these different board games. We'd have multiple things set up at once. And it was a really awesome experience. So yeah, kudos so to you hoping, guys. yeah, I'm hoping once the pandemic gets straightened out, we're able to kick that off again. And, you know, I, there, we could have jumped back into it maybe late summer, but I, I really just kind of wanted to wait until I don't want to put people on the spot and make them feel like, Oh, well, I really should show up. Um, but I don't feel comfortable with this. And so it's just easier to just kind of wait. I mean, the games aren't going to go anywhere unless I have a fire, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're here. So we'll be able to play them, uh, you know, the same way in a couple of months as we could have last month. So uh, we'll get back there. It'll, it'll happen. Life will return to some form of normalcy at some point. Have no fear. I'm really excited for that as well. And probably the worst thing coming out of it, will just be all a little bit more social awkward than we were before seeing that we haven't had contact with people for so long, but <laughs> No, I'm I'm really excited for it all. I'm I'm excited to get the the um, board game group hopefully started again once once this all passes and lots lots of good stuff coming out. So I'm just really excited for 2021 and and I also just want to say thank you for having me on. I've had a great time and I love spewing <laughs> nonsensical information about cardboard and paper. You fit right in here. <laughs> Next month, Phoenix and I will welcome another new co-host, John Munch, who's done one episode of Unfiltered with us. Back to the show. We are bringing back one of our hairy wizards and doing a show all about Dresden. We're going to cover the second Dresden book and the cooperative card game. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Joey Burns at Hobbybox Burns and Adam Wilson at Ox's Auditorium, I'm Tom Sidlogic at Tom Sidlogic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. Tom, is this a poop? <laughs> That was still that was still so funny when did that. I like, <laughs> was right between the two of us. I get it. It's a different culture when you have young children versus not having kids. But like, you know, my daughter is two and a half years old, and we have so far thankfully avoided having a poop on the floor at any point. If there was a poop, the cat would be more likely the culprit. <laughs> oh, so many deep cuts and inside jokes for this episode. That's perfect. I mean, that, that's great. I, I love inside jokes. I can't be. I can't wait to be a part of one someday. Yeah, someday, Bernsey. <laughs> uh, can we stop for one second? I gotta pee one more time, and then I'll be right back. Sorry. There's that jug, Joe. The jug. The jug. Yeah.